This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. kind of feel bad because i like make the little announcement on instagram and then people are like oh i want to watch live and i'm like oh well you can sorry make it live after it's done and i did that (laughs) last week and it really threw people for a loop because they thought thp was live but it was like what we had just recorded yeah broadcast to facebook and their uh instagram or youtube and then everyone was like they're not they try to get on a live chat and yeah they're like why are you guys going so late eh, we're not yeah yeah, yeah. Like, we were done like 30 minutes ago what are you talking about <laughs> i'm already in bed yeah. yeah for real but here we are episode 177 of the herpeticulture podcast uh i'm justin smith of palmetto coast exotics and i am and i'm jacob bratz with longleaf reptilia that's right uh, this episode is brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, blackboxcages.com. Fantastic stuff. You need to get it. Uh, there is talk of some Black Friday deals coming up. Ooh. So stay tuned there. Uh, and then check out stevesnakesuary.com. Get some Venom Hot Sauce. Help Steve out. He's doing a lot of really good stuff in terms of educating the public, uh, relocations, rehabilitations, all that good stuff. So check both of those out. I'm not going to waste a ton of time with the usual intro stuff. I don't really have any updates. I don't, Jake, I don't know about you. I mean, I got new snakes today, but yeah. You did. They were nice. They are nice. Very exciting. You know, you got those Texas rats. And I was, when, when Chris told me that's what he was getting, I was like, oh, I don't know if Jake's going to, it's like going to be like another Spurge situation. Jake's going to be like, thanks. Not, not for these. No, you know, they are really nice, though. Like, they are really nice. Oh, those, those are, when he sent me the adults that was the seller because like when i first saw him i was like what the heck is that then i was like oh shit i think these might be the adults to my babies and like yeah i'm not nearly as into the texas stuff but they're still obsoleta which you know obviously obsoleta is kind of my jam and like i kind of wanted a pair of texas rats and these fit the bill so perfectly because they're such a specific locality and such a specific look because he sent me the adults and they're unlike any texas rats i've ever seen in my freaking life so they they definitely fit the bill and uh, I'm definitely get super a new piece excited. Of artwork, which is yeah. one of the reasons we even yeah. want Chris to send us stuff because Chris sends us little oh, yeah. drawings <laughs> in different scenarios with every box and it just makes makes every shipment all the Dude, better. The last the last time that he sent like everyone a box in a week or whatever, and everyone was sending their pictures. I was messaging him. I'm like, dude, what do you got for sale? What's up? Buddy, I'm kind of out of everything. I'm like. I really just wanted artwork, so I'm really just about to buy a random snake. The funniest part <laughs> is that you know that fool was sitting at his kitchen table drawing that stuff. Dude, oh, and that, he, he this, took time to draw those. It wasn't like a quick little doodle. No. Like and that last up. one, this one from today, dude, that was Lisa, like baby. Picasso, baby. <laughs> Picasso. Like that, that was out of this world. That was on a new level. That's the, that shit's on my fridge, boy. I would show them here, but they're too graphic. Yeah, no, we won't show those on here. But uh, if you're curious, message me. Now I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. We have like a whole collection at this point. It's great. I'm going to get them framed. They're all in my closet. I've saved every single one of them. Like, I can't throw that away. It's too damn hilarious. Mine are on the fridge, baby, for everyone to see. 
<laughs> love Chris. Love Chris. Oh, oh man. Uh, this episode, we are joined by Mr. Skyler Williams and Mr. Mike Stefani of Mike's Monitors and Hail the Scales. Um, so I've given as much as I talk about my Ackies, because I'm I'm like a freaking beardy mom with those things at this point. Uh, what better <laughs> instead of talking about husbandry and all that other stuff that anybody can you can find that it's not it's not hard information to come across. I'm super curious in terms of the socialization and getting the quintessential sort of monitor that will just come right out to you and sort of investigates you expecting food, like getting monitors to that point. And I figure Skylar and Mike are two excellent people to talk to about that. Skylar's got his peach throats and he's making really good headway with, and Mike's just the monitor guy. Um, Mike's monitors, baby. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. So not going to spend a whole lot of time in terms of the, uh, the usual stuff. Uh, you know, Skylar's been on the show. Mike's been on NPR. Uh, Let's face it. If you don't know these people, you're living under a rock. That's right. And you need to get out. So go look them up and we're going to yeah. skip all the other bullshit. Okay. But we will very quickly go over which species of monitors you're sort of focused on currently. Um, so whoever wants to go. First. Go ahead, young man. Right, Age sure. before beauty. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> be quick. I'll, Mike, Mike's the big man in the house. I'm just, I'm just that third wheel in here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I, I'll make it quick. But I would say, my, I have a lizard background from when I was three years old. So I've, whether it was a blue belly lizard, an alligator lizard, and uh, an Asian water dragon, whatever it was at the time, either whether my mom had it or I had it from catching it. I just always had this thing about reading the language of the lizard. So that's really what you got to do. But that it doesn't matter what it is. So species wise, it, you know, they're all kind of individual. You read the body language to each monitor. And so I can't really it's not really cookie cutter for everything. So I can't really say what I do is for everyone. But the specific of Jobiensis, which I'm just strictly peach throats at this at this time. That's all I'm worried about. That's all my heart and mind desires. And I see these things and I don't care about any other monitor, really. They're just that they're the they're the rock. They're the rock jam for me. So but why peach throats in particular of all the species? What is there's a million of them? It's crazy because I. It's like it's like Mike said the first time he saw one. You know, he was a snake guy. He did all this stuff. He had tree monitors. You know, he as soon as you see, I, I feel like people see pictures of peach throats and they're just like, oh, that's a pretty monitor or whatever, or or they just you know that's another monitor. But when you see a a healthy peach throat that's colored up and not covered in dirt or shed, it is up there with tricolored monitors and. Mm-hmm. Some of the best looking Dorianus, I feel like they have better colors than them sometimes. I mean, it's just their their scale of beauty for me is they have almost every color of the rainbow from their reds and their peach colors in their throat all the way to greens and yellows and and their arms and back. And then they got blue arms and tail like you're getting every color with that lizard. So one, you're getting every color. It's got a crazy intricate pattern. It's got like uh, Mike Kosicki says it the best. It has the most monitor look out of monitors. I feel like it just has that true Raptor look to it, at least yeah. for me personally. And like, 
they're so tacked on. Like people say lace man lace monitors are really tacked on and they're just like really in, really in tune to every movement and everything. I feel like I feel like these peach throats are right there with them, if not even a step above. Cause I swear there's times where you can be like, oh yeah, this thing's great. He's feeling me. He's everything's fine. Drop of a second, he could be ready to bite you, ready to tail whip you because of something off in the distance may have spooked him or something. They are so in tune and on edge with everything in their surroundings, 360 degrees. I mean, they're just, I put them up there with some of the highest intelligent animals in this world. And that's just because I've spent the last three years with them day in and day out 24 seven. And it, some of the stuff they do that I still see to this day blows my mind. Like it, even these little hatchies that I just got, these new hatchies that I just got, they're, they're blowing my mind. That's why I'm sure y'all are like tripping out all the videos I say, but they're seriously blowing my mind with their intelligence. Like the day in day out connection of just the stupid little things, it registers in their brain and they just, they associate it with, okay, not going to die, but we'll be wary of this person, you know, whatever. But you slowly break that wall down and you got the thing that I got with my forefoot monitor. I can go in there and pick him up, but he's still, like I said, say if something spooks him off in the distance, he's going to be on edge. He's, he's going to be like, yo, what's going on? You know, he's still aware of I'm the good guy, but He's going to know, like that. Like I said, it's it's so hard to explain in words. It's really just reading the body language. That's why I tried to start with that. Like every lizard, every monitor, you got to learn their body language. That's why when I told you guys, I talked to these lizards, they talked to me. And it's like, I'm not speaking to them, but like literally just reading their body language, every movement, how they react to my, re everything I do is like, you just got to, all right, whatever they're doing when I do this, take that in turn it into a positive and make it to where you're making every situation of either you going in and cleaning or changing the water or giving food a positive, not a scare tactic or them being worried or running or feeling that they're cornered or in fear. Sorry. I know I'm rambling, but I, I could literally just go on about this. Forever. You know what? Uh, when you do produce your peach throats, the captive born babies are going to be nothing like, what you have now they, oh, they yeah. yeah i mean i agree with you 100 percent. there's something very special about jobiensis um especially the the normal the Sepik river ones um they're the common ones i mean there's maruki and stuff like that but uh, all to a different degree of color and stuff but yeah. the the typical ones you find wild caught or farm bred or imported they're uh, they're imported so um, yeah, when you hatch out your first baby, man, oh man, I don't know if you've seen them ones I hatched on my Instagram. Oh yeah. Them things are, there, there ain't a better looking animal on this planet than a baby peach throat. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, I figured, you know, I, I obviously on your website and I've heard you, I've been on your website like 50 times, just looking at all the cool stuff and hoping that you'd have an update on peach throat eggs cooking, but honestly, I got a big update coming <laughs> the whole thing though. Okay. I'll be, I'll be looking out for it. But yeah, I remember when you said, when you hatched those peach throats and they were just the most colorful, beautiful things and they were just crawling all over you. And I'm just like, I got these imports barely doing anything, just crawling on me a little bit and tolerating me. And I'm over here freaking got a yep. tear in my eye and stuff. Well, just, you, <laughs> you know, as a guy who's worked pretty uh, extensively with 
peach roads, I can say you're doing real, real good with them. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, I, that's all I focus with, so I don't have any of my attention going anywhere else but them. And when you were just mentioning the, like the locality-ish type of what you were saying, I have noticed now that I have a couple, I, I obviously, I don't know the people that imported them or who caught them or who brought them in. So I can't definitely say, but from people I have talked with, with similar animals to ones I have, I want to 99% sure say I for sure have like a one sarong locality and it's completely different than the other ones that I have. And I have one that I want to say it's what you were saying. The, the Maruk. The, I want to say it's a Maruki, which is like that more common one, which is the band it's banded back, but it's got like the really fine dissipated um, pattern. But these three other ones I have have the most, vibrant yellows and colors their their patterns are very different than the other ones so i obviously i have no way of finding out but i really want to find I, the dream yeah. is to go over there so i can see this stuff with my own two eyes and talk to the people over there yeah because that's the only way i'm going to get to the bottom of all this but exactly. have you gone on iNaturalist at all and looked around it uh, a little bit i really need to spend more time doing that to be honest with you because that would probably answer a lot of questions I have. Well, you know, you know the import game too, man. They're 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 <laughs> telling you a so, general so. location. They're not, you know, they're not giving you specific locale information for yeah. obvious reasons. I mean, that's what, how they make their money. But uh, those Maruks that I had were so it pretty much just looked like a normal peach throat, but where the the black on the shoulders met the the blushing of peach on the throat was yeah. purple patches fucking oh, gorgeous wow. okay. yeah they, that that animal i had was something else but i never got to breed her see that's that the one-year-old or he's coming up on one-year-old male he has to be a maruki then because that's exact that's his exact pattern it's got that purplish kind of stuff coming up in the back of the neck and he's just right from the shoulder up into the right where so the, it goes from the black shoulder, it goes purple, and it blushes up into the peach of the throat. Just it's a it's a stunning animal, you know. And also Jobiensis, they have that um almost like the spinulosis. They have that doughy, like and when I mean dough, I don't mean like pizza dough, like like a dough, you know, they have that real fucking intelligent look in their eye, and it's it, it, it when you I mean, I've kept so many different monitors, but when a peach throat looks at you, man, that fucker's studying your whiskers, your face. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they're, yeah, peach throats are, they're, they're the shit, man, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have any experience with like exotic birds, like parrots or anything. A little but bit. Their yep. eyes are like constantly dilating and stuff when they're Adjusting like it. stuff or something's going on. I'm sure Mike can attest to this. You stare yep. at the peach throat in the eye, you'll see the exact same thing. And like he's saying, that thing is, he's staring into your soul. Like my dude will be, look, he'll be, his face will be four inches away from me. And that tongue's just hitting me and his pupils are going big and small. And it's just like, you know, he's just ex examining everything yeah. and smell and taste. And, but the familiarization is just awesome. with me because no matter what, he, he at least knows I'm, I'm good guys. So <laughs> Yeah, the past couple of days that I've been I've been handling the ackies and stuff too. It's like every time I'm like, these are freaking birds. 
like without yep. a doubt, like the eye, the blinking yeah. is exactly like what you see in like chickens and other birds, yep. the head movements. That's like, but, I'm like, yeah, these things that, are freaking birds. Little, yeah. Yeah. It was like, it's yeah. You wild. know, of, of all the monitor species I've kept and bred, I've never seen any of them do like what a knolls do. Like, of course they don't have dewlaps, but they communicate through head bobs and push ups and, the yeah. only monitor of the probably 90% of all species I've kept at one point, peach throats are the only ones that'll do a head bob and a head shake, communicating with other animals. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, they do a lot of head shaking wow. with humans as far as when, they're, when you're feeding them and, and they're full of food. They literally like shake their head like, no, I'm done. Yeah. And it, as crazy wow. as it sounds, it I'm is. sure they're not saying no but that's what they do i mean it's, it's crazy yeah i mean i think that's kind of the common like you know the head shake it may not be a no but you know it's like a that's the get that out of my face the, yeah, yeah the that's the animal instinct of like anything that can communicate in that way that's the no i don't want that you know like, very well that, could get, be yeah, get that out of my face, you know, because birds will do the same thing. If they don't want something, they'll bash yep. their heads into it, you know, yep. just like be like, no, I'm good, you know. So that's that's fucking incredible, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, Mike, what what are what monitors are you working with like right now? Obviously, you said you've kept, you know, 90 percent of the monitors out there. But like, what do you what is your main focus right now? And what are you really like getting into? And you know, what's what, your, I, what I what I have currently and these are all projects like long-term projects. So I have right. um, my coming eye, of course, because I, I just love them there. I, in my opinion, the contrast between yellow and black is just, it, it's, they're beautiful. Um, so I got the, the coming eye Philippines, golden water monitor. I have uh, sulfur uh, water monitors from Java. It's something new to me. These giant, water monitors because mm -hmm. you know coming i only get like five foot and these these suckers here are you know they're they're gonna be giants and i got a couple right now that are over six foot and probably wow. you know up in uh maybe eight pound i mean they're big animals and they get much bigger so they're gonna be huge and i have my similis which is the only audatrias that i currently keep and that's my favorite monitor i just i love them they got they got big attitudes. They're they're this little tiny black and white monitor. Yeah, they're shaped really weird in yeah, they, they, other species. Like their head structure is just odd. Like their neck is weird. Just the whole thing. Yeah. You know. That that see, that's the thing. That mm -hmm. that's the thing about um similis that I like so much. I like the black and white color combo. That's that's always big with a guy like me. Um but when they puff like you could get them to come on your arms and, and you could get them tolerant of your presence, but they will always, when you first approach them, I don't care how, and I don't like using the word tame. So I'll say tolerant. They tolerate. Right. Yeah. So, because they can all do this. I mean, they, they just tolerate you. I mean, they could fuck you up. All of these yeah. animals. Yeah. They're basically so smart that if you don't screw with them, they will tolerate you and, and deal with you just like you deal with them. So they, they do this thing where they puff their throat out and their head becomes like a diamond. And, and 
just the, the the black and white tooth marks on their on their top and bottom jaw with that diamond shape. I love them, man. And they're just these little tiny bulldog lizards. I, I love them. I have had no success breeding them. You know, in all these years I've been working with uh, monitors. I had a large group way back in the day, and I, I currently have um, three. Two, I believe, are a male, and this new one that I just picked up, I'm hoping it's a female. Um, but, yeah, when we get to talking about, um, you know, tolerating these animals, socializing these animals, we'll get to them, too. But uh, And then the last species that I am currently uh, keeping is um, the wild-caught Varanus togianus from the Togian Islands. They're not the Sulawesi mainland form, which are like a like – a, a dark tea colored with white. These ones that I have are, they're fucking amazing. They're jet black. And the only, the only visible pattern you can see them when, when they're just sitting out is they have white rings around the end of their snout. So a solid black lizard with white rings around its snout. They're gorgeous, but on their throat and their chest, they have uh uh, white zebra striping that goes, and they're just gorgeous, gorgeous animals. Uh, they're on my Instagram too. I just saw your Instagram video of that earlier today. Yeah. Yeah. I love them things, man. And they've never been bred in captivity. So I'm hoping, uh, I believe I have 1.2. So I'm hoping that I could get that job done because man, these, these are beautiful lizards and you know, everybody loves the black dragons. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. gonna you're talking about a seven foot animal get forty pounds more, maybe. They're huge. Oh, that, that's that's not yes. a lizard for everybody, but everybody loves them. So I'm hoping that I could get these Togians going, and now you're gonna have like a Merton size black dragon, so with with probably a better pattern on their on their throat and chest, and with the white rings around their nose, it's just a little different, and they only get about four foot, so they're very manageable. Mm -hmm. Right. Have you ever kept stores? I that's one species I have not kept. That's always been a species I've been interested in. Yeah, they're, they're tough, man, because they're super terrific. Unlike most audatrias that are very communal, mm -hmm. um, stori are are they're pretty solitary unless they're breeding. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's the small stuff. Like the little stuff is always what's interested me the most. There's something about it, it was the same with dart frogs. Like I loved Ranatomea. Like it's the tiny stuff that always interests me. You know, I don't know what it is. Big man, I like little little reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like that with geckos. Like all those little micro geckos, the reef geckos, the yellowheads. Man, I love that shit. But I'm like a gorilla, man. I I, I don't do well with small things. <laughs> <laughs> You feel like you're gonna accidentally crush them. Yeah. 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 So uh I guess this is sort of more aimed at Mike, but over time, how have you noticed the socialization process vary from species to species? Um surely there's I mean, I'm obviously there's some species I'm sure that that are much harder to sort of acclimate than others, be they you know, captive bred or imported. Yeah, um, well, you know what? Captive bred, it's a whole different, whole different animal. Number one, they don't know the vastness of, you know, an open space. They do know things coming at them from above are bad. Um, 
But for the most part, all of that, the wild, when they're hatched out, like they're, they have never experienced. It's a, clean, it's a clean slate. Yeah, it's a clean yeah. slate as far as captivity goes. So um, generally what people want to do with most monitors is they want to get them. I don't care if it's captive born or, or imported wild caught stuff, but they want to put them in these big grandiose enclosures. And I'm the same way, but man, you're fighting a hard battle when you do it that way. If you set them up uh, like wild caughts are a little different than captive born. So for wild caught animals, and, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, Skylar that they're afraid of, of everything when they first come in. So to put them, here's what people do. They put them in, you know, beautiful naturalistic setups. And that's great if you play that game, but people don't. What happens is they put them in these beautiful setups with a lot of hiding and plants and everything and, you know, a big water dish. And what happens is these are wild caught animals, man. They're afraid of everything. When they hear your door open up, they scramble, man. They, they go to take cover. So what happens is um, people, they want to check on their animal. So they move this log, they move the water dish, and, you know, they move this plant, and then they see their monitor like, holy shit, Godzilla, you just tore apart Tokyo, right? Yeah. So <laughs> so they, they think of you as bad monkey. Well, you, mm -hmm. you don't want to be thought of as bad monkey. You want to be thought of as good monkey, feed monkey, clean monkey, quiet monkey, not bad monkey. Yeah. So what I always suggest to people, and it's a little different with, with wild caught imported animals, like my Togians. Um, I can't use my normal captive born um, acclimation system with these guys because they do require some security, you know, a different type of security, a security that they feel is deep cover. Um, however, while it, the cages look great and it's they feel totally deep cover i have cork tubes with you know one inch access holes all in them they feel nice and secure in there but i don't have to pull it off the wall to look in there and see if he's in there you know what i mean i can look in any one of those little portholes and see his foot his head his tail and i know where he's at and i can check on his condition this way so i don't have to disturb him i don't have to scare him so um if you set them up like this and you you got like wild caught stuff, you got to really, the time is all theirs. It's, it's you, you, you lose as far as time goes because, you know, we want everything now. I mean, look at McDonald's, all this bullshit. Um, but with wild caught animals, it's definitely a process of them tolerating you and you tolerating them and their, insecurities so uh by doing that and then tongue feeding them through these portholes that you put in your cork tubes and your hide spots um that really makes them comfortable they'll start feeding in their in their tube from the tongue and then you you know if you give them like my for example my togianus uh very nervous wild caught animals um now i've already i've had them since tinley so i don't know was it about a month or so I've already gotten them coming out and tong feeding for me. And then from there, what happens with monitors, when they feed, they want to go in the sun. They want to metabolize their food. They want to get in that heat. So what I do is I go in there 
first I'll walk in the room real softly. If they're out, I'll sit down. If they bolt, they bolt. I just sit there and I wait for them to chill out a little bit. Then I'll get my food and I'll go to wherever they're at in their little um, cork tubes or whatever. And I'll just give them a, a half a chick uh, because they like to smell it. A, you know, a chick is great for them, you know, but when they smell the innards and the guts, it really gets these wild cuts going. So um, before you know it, they're okay taking food from me. Now, they, as soon as they get done eating, you know they want to they go and bask. So what I do is I feed them up good, and then I remove myself to the back of the room, and I just sit on the chair. <coughs> Excuse me. They'll come out, and they'll, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be looking at me. They'll be looking at the basking spot, deciding, you know, and at this point, you don't move. I mean, and, and I'm not even joking when I say this, even your eyes, because that's what they're looking at. They're looking at your freaking eyes. They're, they're studying your eyes. And believe me, if you think you're going to do something stupid or make a move or just like I just coughed, man, you got to subdue all of that. And, and like, you can move your eyes, but if for some reason, like when you, when you're going to get up, they read you, they read your, before you even get up, you can see them getting ready to take off. It's like, wait a minute, what did I do? And then I realized, well, wait a minute, man, I was focused straight in on that animal. And when I did that, he became more cautious. So you got to try to eliminate all that, the eye contact, like, um, like Skylar was saying, you know, even, even when you're in Florida and you're, you're, you want to catch an anole, you can get, you can get so close to that anole. And if you're looking at him, he knows exactly how far you are and he takes off. Now, if you use your peripheral vision and don't face your head at him and you're not looking directly at him, man, you could almost walk up and pull him off the branch oh, yeah. because they're studying your eyes. So with knowing that, uh, like I said, with the wild caught animals, you just let it, it. It's a long process. It takes a long time. And, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I've made a lot of mistakes. So a lot of things that I do now are a little faster than like what happens with most people. Um, just because like Skylar said, you know how to, you, you know how to read your animals. And if you don't, you better learn that with monitors, especially if you're dealing with wild caught and stuff. Um, so that that's how I deal with wild caught animals. Um, and generally the worst thing you could do, you, you should set up, like I just said, because the worst thing you do is you get nervous. You haven't seen your lizard in three days. So before you know it, you move the water dish and you're rustling everything around and everything's completely different. And yeah, they look at you like, wow, man, I guess this guy could probably get me no matter where I'm at. So, yeah. you know, that's a bad, that's a bad um, instance. And if you do have a bad instance like that, you just back up. And the next time you don't have a, you, you do very short sessions with them. And of course you try not to uh, spook them or anything, but always on, on a, on a good note. Yeah. And that was uh, something I made a point of with the Ackies when I first got them set up. Cause I knew that they would find, you know, their little escape routes and their, you know, their, their paths and stuff like that. And, if I had gone in and rearranged all that, then all of a sudden they would, you know, that would freak them out even more because now the spot that they usually run to isn't there anymore. Absolutely. So, and you just fucked them up. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, it's just a setback. You, you could come back from it, but you got to learn like, you know, Skylar and, and you got to learn to read your animals. Um, and you know, you'll know if you're doing something wrong and they hide from you when you come into the room. So what this whole podcast about here tonight is I'm hoping, and I know Skylar and the rest of you guys, you're, you're, you're hoping that we could put out some information that'll help people socialize their animals and have a good experience with Varanids because they are, they're, they're next level animals, like, you know, super highly intelligent, their brains, <coughs> their brains are never turned off. Like, like I was telling you before, I, I, you know, I'm from a snake background and, you know, when a snake is full of his food and he's, you know, he finds a nice warm spot to digest. They basically go there, even though they don't have eyelids, they, they're not there. They're, yeah. they're turned off. If they hear something bump the tank, you know, they may put a tongue flick out. If they see some light change go in front of their light bulb, they still don't even really register that where a monitor, when you open, like all my stuff is in the basement. Every one of my monitors knows when I open the door at the top of the stairs to go down into the basement, they know that right. that's how smart they are. They feel it. They hear it. Yep. And you know what? Here's another thing too, to, to take into consideration people who like I use 12 on 12 off um, light cycle. At night, when my lights are off, that's it. If I got to go down there and check on a nesting female or something, that's one thing. But at night, when the lights go off, they don't come back on. For people to see, you know, come in to look at my animals, no, if you're not here before 7 o'clock, you're out, you know. All right. Hi, guys. Bring your night vision goggles. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like, I, like I was saying, people who leave their lights on 24-7, hi, Dom, um, what happens is, not so much with captive born, but with wild caught animals, what happens is they're not dumb. You, you, you inadvertently will condition them to sleep at night or no, to be out at night and to sleep during the day because your dog is running around, your dishwasher's going and they just bunker down. Now, nighttime, everything gets quiet. They come out and they do all their things and that's not good. That's not yeah. a good thing to do. I never even thought about that. That's, yeah, your your yeah, animals basically train you like that, so you don't yeah. want to do that. I get eight so hours of uninterrupted just roaming and and hanging yep. out. Yeah, yep. nothing to worry about. And then when you do come down and you want to observe them and see them, they're all bunkered in. They're all hidden, so it's not good. So have you changed your day-to-day life process based around your monitors? Like, do you try to keep things more quiet during the day so they're more willing to come out and be more active during the day? Nope, absolutely not. And I, I think of them like, almost like dogs. Like, you know, you, you, we're the dominant species and I don't know if it sounds arrogant or whatever, but we're the dominant species. We got to live our lives. And in time, they learn to live like this too. And then, like I said, you become socialized with your lizards and they're socialized with you and everything is good in the end, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, you should never give the dog what he wants. You should never give the lizard what they want. You should have them deal with your situation and that that's good for them and everything. So. Gotcha. 
that's kind of the sort of the issue is like everything I've sort of watched and, and read in terms of socializing Varanids was, yeah, you get them to associate you with food. But the problem with that is if you're trying to do that, then you end up feeding them and you have extremely obese lizards. See, I have something to add to that. When you uh, yeah. send a note on that, I can add to that. So I guess I really can't say for every species of Varanid, but I have noticed with the Joviensis, I mean, a lot of what I'm going to be referring to tonight is going to be all based around Joviensis, but um, I got a lot of positive reaction, which one of the videos I sent you all the other night in the group chat, I don't know if you noticed, but I was using the spray bottle as kind of like um, a neutralizer, like to realize like, it's kind of like, hey, I'm getting snakes. Yeah. So it's like, as soon as the monitors get misted, they go into this state of like, oh my God, okay. You're misting me. I'm drinking. I'm everything's good. You know, they kind of like get out of that panic mode. I've noticed at least with the Joviensis. So I kind of correlated that to let's use that as like a connection time rather than only using the food because I'm only feeding like every couple of days or every other day rather than every day because I'm not trying to get into an obesity issue like you're saying. But and I like to use every feeding opportunity as an opportunity opportunity to engage. So the misting has been that perfect kind of bridge in between that gap. And it's like, anytime I come in to mist, I'll either try to approach with my hand first and it literally sounds stupid, but I, I do it to my big monitor. I'm sure you guys have seen it in my videos, but I'll approach with like my thumb tucked into my fist and I'll approach with my fist first and they'll tongue taste my hand, realize mm -hmm. it's not food, it's my hand you know, it's the monkey. Then at that point, I'll either try to glide under them with my hand or go underneath them. If they go into a panic mode or whatever, that's when I go straight to the mister, get the mister out, give them like two seconds of mist, not like heavy, just boom, let them realize they're getting misted. Okay. They like stop freaking out for a second. Then I'll try it again. And as I'm going in with my hand, then I'll engage the mister again, right as I'm about to like, approach them i'll hit the mister again so it's like they're getting neutralized by two things me approaching them and then them realizing they're getting misted so it's like that almost over exertion of those two things happening at one second you can almost capitalize and the next thing you know this monitor's on your hand and then you're misting it and then i'll stop at that point give it a second to realize okay now now it's on me or now i'm engaging with it and usually from there, I can either go forward with hand-to-hand -hand movement or letting it crawl on me or then sitting there misting it while I'm engaging with it to make the, the engagement last longer. But I've noticed the misting has definitely worked and not like just sitting there drenching it the whole time, just periodically da, 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 to get its brain tacked out of that. Anytime it's about to go to that fight or flight or flight, hit them with the mist to re-engage them into calm. And that is that has honestly been working a lot with the younger ones. And another thing I've noticed is getting your uh, monitor out of its um, out of that. Uh, even if it's in its cage, if you can like lure it out, or even if it's in that freaked out, like if you can lure it out with food, I would lure it out of its enclosure if you have an area where you can work with it. Because when they're out of their enclosure, I've almost noticed that they don't have that protective oh my God, I can run right here to the left and I can hide or, you know, like they almost feel 
more of a curiosity thing. Exactly. They're in sense, they're in sensory overload and they're just taking in, you know, think about you being in jail, you know, you're, you're, you're in jail and they let you go to the commissary boy. man, It's gotta be like Christmas, you know? So same thing. So do, do you, do you think in that scenario, like, you know, if you coax them out with food and they, come out or whatever and it's kind of that sensory overload do you think there's any chance that like in that scenario obviously everything's wide open and in that scenario in the wild if you're in the wide open you're vulnerable do you think in any scenario that like when that happens it's almost like as long as you don't force them into that situation that maybe you might be kind of a safety net for them like okay i can trust one thing that's familiar Right. I can trust this person in this very vulnerable state. Nothing's happening to me, but I'm on this guy's shoulder on their hand. He's not making me do this, but I'm out here now because I wanted food, but like I'm safe now because I'm with my monkey, you know, when when you get, when you get wild caught, especially we'll just stick with the wild caught, like the peach throats or the togies, whatever. When you get them to that point, and that's a good point that you bring up, bro. When they get to that point where your their security, because that's what it's all about for these animals. They just right. want to be secure. Um, so when you're their security in a situation like this, you're you're doing good. You're you're well ahead of the curve, and you know they still may freak out, but you've already done some major socializing. If they look to you as a you know a comfort. It's not always a hundred percent, you know, a, a positive, they come out and it's just, Oh, it's all perfect. You know, there is that they come out sensory overload and they kind of freak out. But at that point, it's like, don't go grab that thing. Don't go wrangle it. Yeah. Up. No, point, I try to make either my arm, my leg, my whole body, some sort of blocker to where they're now either running up my arm, running up my leg. Like, like Mike said, it takes more patience and time than you will ever get back to these things just to get out. You're going to give a mile to get an inch, no matter what. But right. And, and well, another thing that's important to bring up at this point is, you know, when you do make these big strides, you can fall back. Oh, but yeah. absolutely. If you do fall back, you just stay the course and you're going to make it further and further until the one day, like I, I've, I've had wild caught peach throats that literally were like cats. I mean, they would crawl all over me. They wouldn't run from me. It took, you know, years, but yeah, you, you could get there with wild caught animals. Everybody thinks, you know, you know, when they blow and they hiss at you or tail whip, come on, man. You, you know, if, if that bothers you, you know, they got day geckos that are crawling yeah. up on your hands and they won't bite you and shit. Get out of the sport if you're worried about a tail whip and a puff up because exactly that's just them telling you, watch your ass, basically. Yep. <laughs> right. And it sounds but, like the biggest thing is not like forcing them into that situation. Don't go in and grab them and stick nope. them on your chest, be like, This is where you're gonna be now. You know, it's that's why like, I said everything is on yeah. their time. You You're do right. not control the time during this process. Nope. I feel like if you try to control the time, then it's just going to backpedal completely. You know, yeah. like if you try and force them into those situations, it's not going to be good. You know, you want right. to let them believe that you are the safety net, not make them think you are because absolutely. that's just going to bring you absolutely back. You know, yep. there are, there are already on 10 
no matter what, 24-7. Right. So their, their interest level and their, you know, intriguedness to, for everything is already there. So it's not like you need them. You don't do much for them to, to get reaction out of them. They're all reaction. So it's literally, what can I do? Po- it's basically, for, you're going to make a lot of steps back before you make steps forward because you're going to have to first learn how your animal reacts to everything you're doing. And you're going to have to learn how to make what you're doing not seem or not make your animal react in a negative way. So as soon as you can start learning what you got to do to make your animal react in a neutral or positive way, you learn that, make that a routine. And basically from there, they learn to make like I like I said, five days out of 10 is probably when I have positive interactions with my monitor. But 10 days out of 10, I'm putting in the same amount of work and the same amount of activities like mike saying you know i might get 10 steps ahead and then on that 10th day i get knocked back down four steps but guess what i'm going back in there tomorrow and with a positive attitude and making sure my animal knows i'm in a positive mindset because those jokers read vibes and read energy better than absolutely you. that's another thing i was going to say if you're ever whatever in a fight with your girlfriend or you need to just like a dog you yeah. the energy you put forth is the energy you're going to get back from these animals. And it, it's crazy. But if you ever go down in your animal room and you're working with monitors and you just had a fight with your wife or one of your kids was sassing you, whatever, man, that animal knows the tension in your yeah. your aura, whatever you call yeah. it, your electricity, whatever you want to call it. They know, man, they're not fucking dumb animals. I mean, you know, and when I say they're not dumb animals, they read shit like that. They read your energy. They read, like, I talked about, I know we're, we don't want to get in on husbandry, but just to show you an example of how their intelligence and their, their, their knowing it, how deep it is. Like, when, when you're in your basement, and my, my basement's 82 to 84 degrees, that, that's what they feel. But I can tell you something right now. They know the walls are 68 degrees, even if they're in a cage. They know they read all these little cues, noises, smells, temperatures. They read every bit of it. So they're highly intelligent, man. And when you when you use that, you know, people think they're, you know, they're they're instinctive driven for sure. But they're also intelligent. So right. If you use their intelligence against them, so to speak, uh, you could build a great relationship with these animals and they trust you. And once you get that trust going, that's you're done. You're, I mean, you got to always work on it and you don't want to go down with a bad energy, like I said, because um, they'll pick up on that and you'll have a bad day with them. So you're better off just clear your mind, do a little of fucking ohms, whatever you got to do. And then go down there and be calm and assertive and, and you know, straightforward with them. And, and it I'm works. Sure, I'm sure there's also a, a confidence that needs to go into it. You know, if like yes. you said, they pick up on energies and stuff. If you're nervous interacting with these animals, you probably shouldn't have them because that's not going to go a long way. If you're scared of that animal, if you're tense around it all the time, you need to have a calmness of you. You need to have that, that nerve of like, and confidence, you know, not necessarily like you can have your, 
nervousness dealing with a new animal whatever but like i feel like you have to have yeah exactly you have to have a confidence in yourself you roll in there with with purpose instead of hesitating and stuff like snakes somehow pick up on that i don't know how how it is absolutely if if you go whatever uh you go to your i don't know if you guys got kids or whatever but if you go to their school or you know their football practice and the coach is not putting off you know uh uh the presence of being yeah the presence of being a leader and someone who's not scared and someone who's bold yeah you, you feel that you and you you're confident with that so you want your animals to be confident in you so you have to show them confidence because they pick up on all this shit right because if you're not confident in your animals you're not confident in yourself with your animals your animals are not going to be confident with you absolutely you know, like yep. you're just another scary things. thing yep yeah and it's one of those things i feel like a lot of people don't really like think about too much you know like they, if they're you're shaking you're tense you're everything your animals pick up on that, especially monitors, you know, monitors are on like a whole different level with intelligence with that type of thing. You know, like you said, with dogs, you know, dogs can tell if you're scared of them, you know, and I feel like monitors would be the same way. If you're nervous around your monitor, you're scared around your monitor, they're going to, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to be just as tense and just as scared as you, you know, you have to have that confidence, that calmness of like, okay, this animal is fine. I'm in tune with this animal and you need to act like that. You need to yep. present that with your aura or else they're going to, they're going to retaliate, you know, yep. like they can't, you can't be like that. You have to be calm, confident, and then come in with a calm hand and a confident yep. hand, you know, to, to really be able to interact with them. Dude. So I got a perfect example for that. It's like, obviously i play with blaze my big male peach throat like he's my puppy dog friend we, we all and, know blaze yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> when i first got him like in the first six months of having him or whatever i had taken him to the vet for a checkup or whatever and on the way there he was in the back seat in like a tub but we didn't want to have him tub just because he's blaze and he's so cool so we like had his head hanging out and i forget what happened but he was like trying to crawl out or whatever and at some point my wife was just like tried to mush his head back in just because she's clever with him well he latched onto her finger so thank god or anything but he just like bit her and like held onto her like bro why are you trying to mush me in the face so now he's like eternally terrified of him but he'll like i obviously have my reptile room separate from my house so we'll be in here chilling he's usually out while i'm doing my chores or whatever but sometimes she'll just walk in here not realizing that he's out and she'll be talking to me. And next thing you know, Blaze is like about to crawl across her feet. And she just goes into like, oh, my God. I'm like, do not do that. Don't jump. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't, don't panic. Jump. Yeah. He's going to bite you when you do that. And like just the other day I was in here and that happened. She walked in and I'm like, watch your feet. Watch your feet. And she's like, get him, get him. Dude, homeboy looked at her like. I'm about to bite the F at you right now. So yeah, it's literally. But oh, you're I, back for more. He knows my vibe. I just scoop him up like a little puppy. I'm like, you're good. Like it's all good. But the instant second of her freaking out, he was ready to like. Okay, his tail was curled up. He was about to tail whapper, and he was like, okay, if I have to bite, I will bite. But as soon as he felt my confident hands and he right. felt my touch, grab him. It's not like he whipped around and bit me or nothing. He literally just got picked up. I set him down. 
situation. And I'm sure in those situations, it's almost like a, it's almost a double whammy because if she comes in and freaks out, you're going to kind of be like, don't do that. And then he's going to be like, why, why is King monkey acting like that? You know, then he's automatically on edge of like, you know, if my, if my safety net is starting to freak out, then, and this, and this other one is freaking out and like, this is all bad. You know, yep. like, give me a hiding spot. Yeah, gotta, exactly. You gotta remember to stay calm as well. Is the thing. Oh yeah, and, that, and that's the biggest thing, you know. Like, and I feel like even talking, talking soft, you know. I mean, like, you know, if your girlfriend comes in, or fiance, wife, whatever, like, if she's wife, freaking yeah. out, you have to be like, hey, it's cool. Like, just absolutely. Let me let me get him, you know, because like I feel like even voice inflections. Absolutely, because you know, it's all vibrations, and you know they hear that. You know, it's all. That's funny you, you say to... that because, man, dude, you're calming. You're you're like you should be a a self help guru or something, man. You're very <laughs> calming. <laughs> I but I don't that. know how long I don't know how long we're gonna go here, and I know Justin's got some uh, ackies. So are they young ackies? Yeah, uh, I got them, and they were, I want to say, only a couple weeks old. And they're, okay. like, they're a year, probably about a year and a half old at this point. Okay. Well, yeah, they're getting there. They're getting there. But at any rate, so like for Audatrias, Kimberly Rocks, King Gorums, Ackies, any of the smaller dwarf monitors, um, simple setup to start them off in. Basically, any of those types of Audatrias I just mentioned, I'll put them in, uh, I think it's like, fuck eight by eight by maybe 10 mm-hmm. a little front opening exoterra what i do is i put a 50 watt light bulb over the top seal the top with cellophane or plastic something like that um then i put one one uh cork bark not yeah, a cork bark slab or bark slab and then i'll take a, a plastic plant real wiry plastic plant and I'll just drape it over the front of the um, the cork or the bark. And now that does a couple of things. These animals, it don't take them much to feel secure. So this, this slab like this w- with a, um, it's a vertical thermocline. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to get warmer, they'll come towards the top of the cork bark. If they want to, you know, they choose their temperatures. But the plant over the top allows them to bask while still feeling concealed. So they feel safe, they're secure, um, and they're all happy. Now, you can literally, of course, in the beginning, you don't want to have that eye contact. So open the doors and take uh, pinky parts, leg, you know, rip the whole thing. But you want them small pieces. Get some tweezers and Put it right through the plant where they're basking, and they'll start eating. Keep doing that. Keep doing that daily, slowly but surely. They'll look for you to be opening the door to feed them. And I know there's a counter to this, too, so let's not get out of ourselves here. So food is the motivator yeah. to liking you. But that all you change that all up once you've bridged this gap. So 
they like you. You're the food monkey. You're giving them food. You're giving them food. Now from there, you don't pass the food into that little plant. And it's a real spittily plant. You can look on my Instagram and my YouTube to see all these setups. If not, just hit me up and I'll send you pictures. Um, usually when I sell animals, I, I suggest all these setups I'm going to talk about to the people who buy my stuff. And the people who listen to me generally have a, you know, they'll contact me in three months with their lizard on their arm and their, everything's good. I've developed this over years. So it's not, I'm not just blowing smoke. This shit works. So when you get your ackies like that, now you don't put the, take your tweezer and you don't put it into the plant. You put your hand in the plant and you hold, you hold the, uh, the food back here a little more. Now they got to walk on your hand to eat the food. Next thing you know, couple days, you're, you're feeding them, you're feeding them. They're coming on your hand. Now you'll get to the point where you open the door and they're going to poke their head out of that plant. They're going to be like, oh, food monkey's here. Nope, food monkey don't have food for you today. Just put your hand on there. And they're so smart, they figure you've trained them to where they come out. Then you give them the food. But now they're going to start coming out. You're not going to give them the food. You'll pull your hand out of the cage a little bit. You, you'll look at them. You'll put your hand back in there. They'll go back into the plant. Um, and you're building up these um, these positive interactions with them. And uh, f- once you get them to the point where they'll come on your hand looking for food that you don't have, man, game over, dude. They're, they love you. They love you at that point. So, yeah. um, But the key to that, to getting those audatrias, Kimberly Rocks, any of them, to become tolerant of you is food in the beginning and a very, very simple setup. You don't want to give them hides here and this and that. Once they come out onto your hand looking for food and you don't give them food and they go back in and they come back out without food, man, you could put them in, you could put them in a, uh, you could put your ackies in a 10 foot room. <laughs> and when you walk in the room, they're going to come to you. So once you get them to that point, that's why I always, tell people in the beginning other than for wild caught animals you want a super simple setup um and that's what the audacity is that's what i found worked well with them the one piece where they can hide behind it or you know they could bask from behind it they could bask in the front the 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 little spittily plant and i mean Mm -hmm. really spittily it's like fake spanish moss so it's real thin and they bask there and they get comfort there. They, they feel secure because of the plant. <clears throat> and so that that's a simple setup for audatrias. Uh, we've already kind of went over uh, how I do wild caught imported animals. And again, it, it's, it happens pretty quick. But generally for the wild caughts, uh, it's going to take some time as uh, Skylar there it can attest to. But it, look at him. You get it done. It takes some time. You just, you got to be patient, calm, and stay the course with them. So now, uh, I don't know how long we're going to be on here. So I kind of wanted to cover. Uh, we usually go a few hours. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, hey, got any questions on that Audatria setup? So, not necessarily a question on the setup per se, but I will sort of skip ahead to like we mentioned earlier, sort of the forced interaction part of it. Um, for a while, I was doing the, the tong feeding, and I'd hold my hand out, and they'd have to come out onto my hand to get the food. 
And that they picked up on that really quick. Like they learned that those tongs meant there was there was something on the end of it for him. Um, but it was always like a okay, I'll come out. I don't really want to, but I will grab it and then run back. Uh, and so Senior. I like as of the last couple days, <clears throat> I'll go in in the mornings before I leave for work and before I take the dog for a walk. Uh, I know which rock they like to hang out under. It's it's never both of them at the same time. It's the male or the female, one of the two. Um, and while they're cold, you know, I'll grab them and I'll, I'll hold them for a minute. Usually they sort of freeze up for a second. And then once they realize what's going on, because now they're awake, that's when they kind of do their little spazzy, like jumping thing. Um, but the last two days, like especially with the male, after five minutes or so of that, he definitely kind of chills out some and he's not nearly as freaked out. The female, she's she's clearly a little more high strung, but it sounds like that's kind of the typical thing with with Aki's for the most part. Um, female monitors so, in general. Yeah, so I don't I don't know. I mean, is there anything to be said for for something like that, or is it? Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I see people do that force handling stuff a lot. I don't like it because now you're saying that your your female. You know, see, now you got an opinion on a female monitor. I have monitors, females, males. They'll all come right out to me. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And it's mm -hmm. all because of the way I raised them like that. Um, so I don't really see a difference between males and females uh, as far as behavior on handling. Um, and you, I, one of you guys had said you were a little worried about using food because you don't want a fat monitor right okay here's here's the thing with monitors monitors like it hot mm -hmm. super fucking hot if you get a baby aki and you keep them in the right conditions if you fed them a pinky a full pinky in parts every day i guarantee you you feed them those pinkies in the morning and you're running them hot, you can go back there later in the afternoon and throw pinhead crickets in there, and they'll chase the crickets and eat them all, too. So they turn. Where are you guys going? Oh. All right. Yeah, chocolate shake. Small. So I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> you're good. So um, uh, wh where was they going? Okay, so uh, when what happens with their metabolism? These animals – you know, Ackies, I don't care if they're coming, I whatever they are in life, their instinct is they got to be they, their prey. So they got to go from being prey to being predator as fast as they can. Yeah. So if you give them a lot of food and you're running them hot, you're not going to have a fat monitor. You're going to you're going to get the proper growth that they need. They'll hit Ackies, Audatrias. They're going to hit 10 inches. Once they hit 10 inches, they'll slow down naturally because they're mm -hmm. no longer, you know, worried about being right. preyed upon. But now they're more worried about finding lizards and crevices and, and mm -hmm. bugs. And they're the hunter now. So they got a whole different lifestyle. Their brain is different now. Now they're no longer shy and scared. They're taking chances for food. They're taking mm -hmm. chances for growth, for, you know, um, for upbringing to to go on to the next generation that's what these animals all want to do they want to reproduce they want to keep their species going and you got to kind of work with that so my advice is 
if you run them hot, you're not going to have a fat animal. And also, it depends. You got to use um, like pinky parts. Once they hit a size where they're taking them pinky parts real good, now you got to take some uh, quail chicks like out of the egg, like bullets. They're, they're 15 days incubated. They're still in the egg. You open the egg up, you pull that gooey little bird out, and you chop that up. Now, I feed, literally, I feed my animals every day. I give them vitamins and minerals, sticky tongue, far, sticky tongue farms, mineral. With every feeding, that's every day. Every animal I have here feeds every day. They, they're not feeding to where they're, they're, you know, they're satisfied. They're a big lump and they're just laying there. I give them food every day because that's part of the process. And to breed them, you got to keep them thinking that they're, they're in the time of plenty. So yeah. uh, what I've found over the years is when you do that with rodents, you're going to wind up with a fat animal. When you do that with birds, I don't care how many birds. I mean, you know, a chick, a quail chick is, I don't even know, maybe – you want me to go grab one out of the incubator really quick? Pardon? I said, you want me to go grab one out of the incubator really yeah, quick? Yeah, well, you know, the ones that are they, <laughs> probably about six grams or so. Yeah. Okay, so if you got a, a five-foot coming eye monitor and I give them 25 a little five-gram birds, it, that's it's really nothing. And their metabolism yeah, is so like high. no fat on those things. Yeah, there's no fat on them. And it, it sustains them. It does really well for them. So another thing that I could say for anybody with any, you know, medium sized to larger monitors, get them on them birds, man, birds and quails and quail eggs. And it's so good for them. Uh, I use a lot of fish, mm -hmm. uh, even on the Adatrias, which is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, bringing up some um, baby Kimberly rocks. I was chopping up food. I'm chopping up food. And, um, I started chopping up some silver sides. I was like, ah, these things are from the outback in Australia. So I go to the Kimberly rocks. I offer them the, the fish, chopped fish. They went freaking nuts. They love fish. So I use a lot of fish, quails, quail eggs, bugs, and rodents every now and then. Not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Say. You know, I see a lot of people with these big monitors feeding like, medium rats and stuff you know like these massive rats and i'm like that can't be that's not because like to me that's not it's not natural no nope. you know? like it's not, not on a regular like, basis at least yeah nope. no like these Never. things are getting they're kind of like i understand most reptiles are opportunistic feeders but if you're feeding even like your biggest monitors you're feeding it a medium, a couple medium rats every day. Like, dude, come heavy, on. Heavy, like, yeah, yeah, heavy like meal. Yeah, heavy meal. It takes a long time to digest. And yeah. from a breeder standpoint, you're, you're actually going backwards feeding a diet like that because they no longer are interested in, in patrolling their environment, looking and foraging. Now they're just they're like a snake. They're just lumped up with food in their belly. They go mm -hmm. in a corner or under a basking light and they just lay there. So by you giving them such a heavy meal like that from a breeder standpoint, you're that's counterproductive because you want right. these animals active and aware. And, and, and like I say, if you feed them every day, birds, man, they, they, 
burn that off so fast. I could probably yeah. feed them twice a day because there's nothing to them. Yeah, but they work great. They're pretty low calorie. Yeah, and yeah. we were t- okay. Let's talk one more thing uh, about feed. Now, I had back in the day when I bred my peach throats. I had um, inadvertently. This was a long, long time ago. 20, 30 years of probably thirty years ago. I hate saying how fucking old I am, but <laughs> so back in the beginnings of monitor breeding, you know, there was not a lot known, not a lot of information shared. Half of it was bullshit anyways. So, you know, I started thinking like a monitor, like, you know, what, what is a peach throat? You know, a peach throat is a forest river type animal. So, sand is out okay we maybe a little bit of sand so we started using um cypress mulch which is crap then we started using the potting soil mixed with sand that's crap any store-bought stuff in my opinion is fucking crap number one you're spending money on something that you can go find a clean spot and dig it up and you're bringing it home so I would go to the, I lived in DeKalb at the time. I would go near the, um, what the hell is that? It's called the Kishwaukee River. I'd find a real clean forest area by the river and I'd dig up dirt. So I get all this dirt home. You know, everybody's looking at me like I'm a fucking weirdo, but whatever. <laughs> no, man. Yeah. So I, I, I packed this enclosure full of this outside dirt and, um, a couple of weeks after I had done this, I they just immediately start sniffing and digging. They love it. They love natural dirt. So it was it was about ten minutes before lights out. My peach throat laid a big turd on the on top of the dirt, and and I was like, yeah, the lights are about to go out. I'll get that in the morning. So when I come down the next morning, I uh, the lights come on and and I look where the shit was. And I see millipedes and, and um, centipedes and, and roly polies just running for their, like roaches in the light, you know, running for their lives. And, the, and the, the pile of shit was gone. So I inadvertently started like a bioactive type yeah. setup, I guess. Right. I called them my workhorses back then. But so the story goes like this. So my peach throat, he's a big four foot animal. He was big. And, um, this centipede, a little red centipede from up here in Illinois. Um, I don't know. It had to be about maybe two inches tops. Little tiny thing like that game centipede. I hear the music in my head. <laughs> that animal ran from across the enclosure like, like, you know, a kid on Christmas morning. And he grabs this tiny little centipede and gulps it down. And he was so happy, you know. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, but that just goes to show you, man, they're, they're opportunistic. They're going to feed whenever they have the chance. So, uh, yeah, if you make it the wrong food items, you'll, you'll, you'll turn your animals into sluggards. So. Nice. I've seen my foot male eat some normal size, large crickets before. I just, I had one of the songs and he always just like, eh, what happens? I showed it to him. Homie went nuts for it. He like, take it tongs but he got the cricket and was all stoked on it i was like they never know they never know when the next one's gonna come by so they gotta get it exactly yeah and i feel like that's the problem with feeding a lot of your lab you know rats and mice you know it's like it's 
they're going to eat it because they're opportunistic feeders. They don't know when the next meal is going to come. So if you offer them a food item, they're going to take it. But just because it's there doesn't mean it's the best thing to give them. You know, yep. like that's why like that's why like a lot of, you know, obviously we're talking about monitors here. But with my snakes, I've cut out rats almost completely, you know, because rats are fucking disgusting. And so like a lot of my carpets and stuff now eat quail because yep. like I know that that is a so much healthier for meal and it's much more naturalistic. Yep. You know, like they're going to eat more birds than anything. Do you think there's a bunch of medium lab rats running around in right. fucking Indonesia? There's not. There's not, you know. You know? You know that they, that they, reminds they, me going oh, back to my early days of colubrid breeding. I was really into Bogertophis, so I had like the Sawbox yeah. and the, the Baja rats and the Centicolis triaspis yeah. intermedias. And, you know, they're not delicate snakes, but when it comes to food, they can be delicate. So yeah. I was getting rodents in the early days. I was getting rodents from the local show here. And, and I was noticing like when they would shit, they were like greasy shits. Yeah. So, um, I, me and the rat guy, we made friends and, uh, he has me over to his house one time and I'm looking at his mice and rat colony and I'm like, what the hell is that, that you're feeding them? And he's like, well, it's, um, it's hog chow and dog food. I'm like, and dog food. So I'm thinking to myself, I picked up one of them kibbles of the dog food and it was literally greasy. Yeah. So I'm like. Oh, okay. So I started breeding my own mice and rats using only lab blocks and corn. And my turd, my, not my turd, my snake's turds <laughs> turned into beautiful little puffs of hair. No greasy to them, no yeah. wet to them. Yeah. And so then I started selling my rodents. And, you know, people would say, why you sell yours a little more than that guy? So you want you know why don't you just go get a bag of dog food and feed your snakes the dog food that's what you're getting so yeah. i i had everybody mad at me but i feel i was able to charge more because number one it's a healthier product and number two i paid more for the missouri lab blocks yeah then you know uh, uh you know you can get a 90 pound bag of old roy dog food for five fucking dollars right yeah you know, and that you get what you get you're getting yeah. junk really quick because so i'm starting to grow my own quail and everything now and i just was throwing obviously this last month i was throwing a couple poplins some bigger meals so i threw a couple older bigger quail off to them what you were just saying literally is the reason why i'm gonna push myself into a grave running this collection and growing my own feeders because i i'm not gonna say any names but the supplier i was getting my quail from when my snakes would poop that out it was kind of like a a black and grayish somewhat feathered mass of poop no, like it looked like yeah. a poop but it was like it was like a grayish black looked like it had not a hundred percent dissolved feathers right mm -hmm. right i just fed off my quails or whatever fully solid looked like some dog turds and you could see remnants of the seeds from the feed that I was feeding my quail. And I sent that to some of my buddies and I was like, reasons A, B, and C while I will not be buying feeders from anyone else anymore because that just lets you know the circle of life. Everything that I'm 
spending yep. all this crazy, dumb money on food and they're getting five different options of food every day. Well, guess what? That's going into my snakes and they're getting all of that nutrients and they're getting everything else. And those turds didn't look like half feathered turds. They looked like actual fully processed turds. So it just, right. I and can't, that, I can't that, go back at this point. It's just, and that, it, and that really says something because like everybody will tell you, you know, you start feeding carpets, birds, everybody's like, Oh, don't start feeding carpets, birds. Cause like they'll get hooked. But then like, also, their shits are their shits are nasty. They're always <laughs> like, "Yeah, you start feeding them these quail, they have diarrhea and this nap, blah blah blah." You, you know what? Know? And I'm like, birds. It shouldn't so, be that way. Birds yeah, are so much easier to get than rodents. <laughs> I mean, you know, rodent breeders are breeding for reptile food. Okay, so it's like a niche. If you go on Facebook Marketplace and put in your local area 4-H club, man, you'll you'll find so many people like they might depending on where you live, like where I live, I got people who breed chickens and birds and quails and ducks and they're everywhere. They're they're and they're they're raising them for food, for human food. Right, so right. it's a good quality thing. Like I seen something the other day and man, oh man, I just don't fucking get it. This goes way back 30 years. There was a zoo who came up with a, a zoo diet, and the diet was formulated for raptors. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what, what the diet was, it was ground turkey, a centrum vitamin, and bone meal or some shit like that. You know, I mean, when I was young, I didn't have money. I worked my ass off for everything I got. So, I'm like, hey, man, you know, ground turkey, that's cheap. I'll go to the store and get it. I got the Centrum vitamins. I put the bone meal in it. I did all of that. And my monitors were shit and fucking gravy. Liquid. Liquid. I said, no way. So we got into a conversation, me and the guy who invented this. And I'm like, hey, why do you do that? I said, here's my experience. I fed it to him. And I basically had a room full of monitor lizards that had diarrhea. And I don't like that. I don't, maybe birds always have diarrhea. I don't know. So he goes, well, it's, it's the same nutrition as a mouse. And I stopped for a minute. I scratched my head. I'm like, dude, do you, is there trouble getting mice? I mean, I could see if there was no mice, you got to right, substitute yeah. something. But if a mouse changes the diet, so much and people to this day still use ground turkey ground pork ground deer man if you if you want to give them turkey go get a turkey and cut the motherfucker up with scissors yeah. it's yeah. the same thing because when i did that turkey bullshit and i was making a little turkey balls i'm i'm making these turkey balls and i'm feeling this shit in there right and i look it was about a half inch long esophagus. So basically ground Turkey is everything that they can't sell as meat. It's the gizzard. Right. It's the throat. It's the comb. It's the feet. It's garbage. It's and, and it's for your monitor. And you know what? It's processed. So it's, I mean, that's what happens when you feed your animals. They process that they break it down they take the nutrients out of it and what whatever is undigestible, they shit out. Well, when you give them processed food, 
the process part is done. They eat this mash. It goes into their belly. They take very little out of it because there's nothing in it to begin with. It's like I said, all the shit. And the only thing you get out is a big mess. Greasy water, greasy water dishes, nasty looking shits on your substrate. And I just, I don't know why people still do it. I mean, it's, it can't be, I pay, I pay like fucking 40 cents for a quail. I mean, is it cheaper than 40 cents for a quail? It's probably around the same price. No. And then I, I heard another guy saying that, um, well, you know, he lost an animal. And I'm not mentioning no names. He lost an animal. And he went on to, to talk about why he suspected he lost this animal. He goes, well, you know... Um, I have employees and maybe somebody didn't microwave the chicken, pork or whatever long enough. And I'm like, now we're cooking monitor food. What? Who cooks for them in the wild? I, yeah. I just don't get it. It blows me away, but everybody does things different. Like I say, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but some things are just freaking common I'm sense. Making your man. life harder than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if 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 it's that expensive for you, maybe you should go to the little geckos that eat the honey and shit like that. Yeah. Now I when I first got into the the big uh, my big Joviensis, I was making some diet mistakes, and um, it took me a, about six months or so to really figure out the learning curve of that. But you can easily pack weight on a monitor. You cannot easily get weight off of a monitor. It is literally yeah, the case with pretty much all reptiles. Yeah, that's it's reptiles. You're of dieting and exercise for me to get this guy back into a prime state of health to where he doesn't have fat reserves hanging off of his sides. And I've talked to people and monitor keepers in the UK and other monitor keepers, and like we've conversed on dieting and all that and like i'll 100 agree um my my bigger male everything in mike saying that the quail eggs the smaller quails 100 the best diet for a yeah. medium size or a large monitor because it's a full prey item so mm -hmm. like you said you're getting that solid turd and you're, you're getting the calcium you're getting the bone development you're getting everything and well, that yeah, it's it's high protein, low calorie. It's yep. Even then, yep. I don't know if I'd say it's necessarily high protein, but it's just it's definitely leaner than any any mammalian. Yeah, any I, I, wild isn't going out there and chewing on a pig's leg or chewing on a, a processed turkey leg that's full of hormones that's been grown in a California or a freaking wherever farm. Right. It's not wild, so right. And, and like you know, for a two inch centipede. These four foot monitors are insectivorous as all hell, and they're going for bird nests and they're going for small birds. Their their prey items are so small, but we're giving them what we think is small. And I, like I said, I thought I was giving my guys small items, and I realized I'm making an obese monitor. So adapt, change, and learn. And yeah, here we are a year later, and he's finally looking better. <laughs> and that's exactly why, like, I've always been as you know, I won't say always. As of recently, I've been more of an advocate of, like, multiple small meals, you know, because a lot of these things are, you know, like you said, insectivores, nest raiders, you know. If they're nest raiders, 
they're getting a bunch of tiny little crap. You know what I mean? It's not, they're not taking the biggest thing they can shove down their gullet because that's hard. That's difficult. That's, that's hard to do. You know, like the, in those, in those bigger things are, they're a lot quicker. They fly a lot faster. You know, they're harder to get. So yep. they're getting five, ten of these little tiny things, but they equal one big thing. But those l- bunch of little tiny things are a lot better for them than that one massive. Well, meal. you're also talking to you like, know the ecology of of like the work to reward sort of ratio, where it's like if you're exactly. spending so much more energy trying to tackle one big thing and eat it, when you could do it all much easier if you're going for multiple smaller things that are you know, easier to yep. get a hold of, faster to digest, like, you know. It's, sure. and, and it doesn't really, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really turn them into sluggards, like a big, and, and I give them a big meal. I mean, they get a lot of quails, but it's never one bulk, you know, that right. one bulk thing that sits in their belly. I mean, you know, uh, it just, it, you know, when you have ice cubes in a glass, okay, that ice, those ice cubes in a glass, they melt down pretty quick because there's a lot of surface area to it. If you put one giant lump of ice in your glass, man, you got you got ice all day. You know what I mean? It takes so long for that to slowly break down. Same with a, a big, heavy prey item. It just takes longer to process. That's a good analogy. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's why with a lot of my, you know, a lot of my colubrids, like right now, the large majority of my collection is, you know, North American rat snakes and pituophis, you know, a lot of those things are like, I, I, I skip, I skip food sizes because like, yeah, at a size, I'll give them one prey item. Yeah. But I don't go between, you know, I skip, I skip the kind of in-between sizes and I feed doubles of smaller stuff versus one big item, you know, because I feel like that's just, it's easier to digest. It's better for them. You know, like it's just, it's not as, it's not as hard versus taking that one massive meal. And I feel like that goes for, and you know, it's everything. funny that it, you say that like with colubrids. Uh, so I'm I'm also very into colubrids. I like dry marcon. I like dry yeah. mobus. I like, you know, North American desert rat snakes. These are all a little, I mean, as far as, you know, the common stuff people keep, they're not, I mean, even like Honduran milk snakes and stuff like that. I, I don't think people do them right. Um, you know, I, 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 who am I to say anything, but my way would be, uh, you know, multiple smaller meals and not just once a week, maybe a small meal on a Monday and then another small meal on a a Thursday, you know? So you're keeping your animals active and engaging and, and like boids, for example, boas and pythons, animals like that. They're used to eating certain boas and pythons. They're used to eating, um, you know, a big meal. Uh, right. But again, they get that one big meal. They crawl off. People always cry about, oh, you keep those retics in them little drawers. You know what? If you put them in a 20 foot cage and you gave them a pig, that motherfucker is going to go in the same spot and he's going to coil in the same spot. The only time he gets active is when he's, you know, looking for food. So I don't really think I, I'm not a rack guy at all. I would never keep animals in a rack. Um, but, you know, certain animals, 
I mean, they just, they lay around. And then when they're not laying around, if they're out looking for food, pull them out of your drawer. Let them roam your room. Like take them out in the yard. Let them crawl around. Give them the exercise they need. Feed them. Put them back in the drawer. No problems. Right. But you you ain't doing that with uh, monitors, man. No yeah. way. Yeah. Monitors, they, they, if you do that, you're going to wind up with these, you know, you ever see these people with um, Savannah monitors? They look like a burrito or a football. Yeah. That yeah. that animal is gone, man. That that that's um that's a fatty liver disease. That's a huge fat store. You want to avoid that at all costs with monitors. Right. And I feel like that's almost with anything, you know. Like I try to I really try to, you know, again, like talking snakes because I, I don't keep monitors, I don't keep lizards, I only have my reference for snakes, but we're getting you there, you though. know. Yeah, no, but I try to I really try to, you know, manipulate my snakes how it is for humans, you know, like a fat animal is not a good animal. A thick animal is not a good animal. You want that lean, you want that lean body type, you know, if it's, you know, everybody loves. The, you don't you know, want them to look like me. Or me. <laughs> you know, but like you don't want them to, they, you don't want that, that big obese, you know, like everybody thinks like, Oh, he's chubby. He's cute. That's not cute. That's yeah. not cute at all because you're going to cut that animal's lifespan in half. Absolutely. Because like you, you're feeding all these fatty items so often, like you know, like cut it down. Two hundred pound, twelve year old. Exactly. You know, depressing. like it's depressing. It's sad. You know, I don't it like is. my animals to be fat. You know, like yeah. When it comes to like, you know, especially with pythons, you know, pythons, you know, carpet specifically, because Skylar, you can attest to this, like pythons, you can get them fat so easily, so quick. Because like, yeah, like, like you said, Mike, you know, they're, they're used to eating those big items in the wild, but like that big item will last them a month, two, That's three. That's the whole thing. People you think know? when that lump is gone, oh, he's hungry. He ain't hungry. He can no. go a long time. Yeah, and like just because they're cruising the cage a little bit doesn't mean they need to eat right away. Nope. You know, like they just, if you fed them every time they wanted to eat, you could they'd, feed them every other fucking day. And they'd be fat. Yeah, exactly. You know, like your your nine, your nine foot coastals are not healthy coastals. No, like, I, I was listening to NPR <laughs> and they were talking. I forget who it was. But I, respect, I have a lot of respect for those guys. You know, they're all very, very smart, yeah. articulate people. So um, they were saying that, like with the scrubs and stuff, the, the you know, the big nine-footers are generally not as good of breeders as the six- and seven-footers. No. You know, not because they're still – I mean, and you know, that, you know it too. I've seen fat turtles, fat – monitors fat snakes and when you look at that animal that animal ain't stupid he knows he ain't right he knows he's too heavy he knows he's too fat but you know it, it, it's just like a kid you bring him to mcdonald's every day he's gonna eat every day so you know it's up to us as responsible you know as as the uh responsible animal keepers of their welfare is to keep them in a healthy state. What we do is what we do. I mean, we, we got a whole different way of life, but you know, they don't, they're, you know, they're pretty much 100%, you know, in our care, we're basically God to them, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we give we, them the food they eat. If you don't give them the food, 
they figure something else out. They they burn off calories and they do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, you know, we play we play God every day keeping these animals, you know, and we have to do what's what's right by them, you know, and the like Lord whether that the be take it away. Yeah, you know, like yeah. with and like with Pituophis, you know, they live they live most of their lives underground. But a lot of that is raiding nests of a bunch of little tiny things and just going to town on that. It's not one massive pregnant mama, you know, freaking, you know, rodent. It's it's a bunch of the little babies, you know, yep. that last them a week, then they go down again, you know. It's you know, it's crazy when, when like here in Illinois, we got some of the best bull snakes in the world, really. Hey. Kankakee County, you know. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, oh, Iroquois yeah. County. These are all probably the most beautiful bull snakes on the planet. And we used to snake hunt. I can't. It's hard for me to get around now. But when I was younger, we used to go snake hunting. And we flipped over a tin one time. And I noticed this vole. You know what a vole is, right? It's like a, yeah. it's like yeah. a rodent. Yeah. And, um Man, I freaked out. I seen this fucking rodent taking off with like 20 arms and it was just flipping and flopping. I'm like, holy shit, what the hell was that? What it was, was it was a mama. And when she gives off a, a special little chirp or whatever, all the little babies just clamp onto her teats and she she's running for her life. And the little babies just hold on to her teeth. They're for the ride. And they're on, yeah, because if they let go, man, that bull snake is right there to eat them. So yeah. they know, man, hold on to mama's teeth and, and they're safe. So it's crazy, man. That, that, was, yeah. that was a weird thing to see. But yeah. what a survival mechanism, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. Did you, did, did you mechanism. Huh? I have the same survival mechanism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grab onto mama's seat and stay. Yeah, my jaw's getting away. Oh, I'm getting old. Tyler, so. hold on. We got to go. <laughs> my, my wife just hits a certain hurt, certain call. <laughs> Mike, did you ever keep bear rats? I'm sorry? Did you ever keep bear rats? Um, no, I didn't. You know what? When I was into all the desert rat snakes, I wanted them, but I wanted that specific purple metallic look, and I could never find the really, really killer beards. So I never got them. I mean, I've seen dogs, and I just didn't want them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So that's, that's uh, we're like uh, an hour 30 in. Can I, I just want to get off to this next Yep. Uh, yeah, go ahead, man. Socialization type thing that hopefully helps people out. So um, with my water monitors, be it Mertens, Coming Eye, Sulfurs, any of them, I come up with this after keeping them several different ways and not really having good luck with them and then picking up on little cues that they were doing. I kind of developed this new raise-up method. So basically... When I have eggs hatch, me and my sons, or even a couple of my daughters, I got eight kids, so we're all over the place. Nice. Um, there's always one, two, three, four of us when the eggs are hatching. You know, we, we take them out of the egg box. They come into our hands. We rinse them off. And basically, from the minute they come out of the egg, we're interacting with them. So they lose their fear of us really, really quick. 
but there's a few that are tentative. So again, I've already figured out um, their security needs are very minimal. So you could take a cork tube and drill one inch holes in it, make that fucker look like Swiss cheese. If they're in it, they're totally safe, but you can see them through all these little ports and these holes. And when you got a bunch of babies that you're raising, they generally they'll, they'll pack in these things and they'll have their heads sticking out here and there, (laughs) but they feel totally secure like that. So I started doing that. And then I noticed that everything was good, but they were real leery of coming out of this Swiss cheese cork tube. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm trying to think like how a hatchling monitor would behave. Right. And then their water monitors, of course, Mertens. This all started with my Mertens. So when Mertens hatch, uh, Mertens are a very uh, communal group of lizards. They'll hang out in packs and in harems and their babies are with them. And, you know, when they get to a certain point, they'll eat their babies. But for the most part, they'll guard them for, I don't know, a little while, I would imagine. Until they're hungry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, they want to, they want their species to continue on. So I'm sure they're going to take something else over one of their babies. Right. Um, you know, so I started thinking like these baby monitors and I'm thinking, you know, alligators, they, they hang around in the water, in the weeds, mama's nearby, security. So what I did was I did away with all substrate. I took 40 breeder exoterras and I took a glass drill and I drilled holes in the bottom. So then I put a bulkhead and a valve, fill that thing up with about an inch of water, put a cork tube that goes across the whole 40 breeder with all these holes in it and a plant on there. So now they could bask on top and only one light off to one side, cover the whole top with plastic, of course, keep the heat and humidity in. So they'll bask on the one spot and the ones that are more bold, they'll bask on the top of the cork cork log. The ones that are a little more skittish and meek, they bask within the cork tube because you got the holes all in there and, you know, the heat penetrates and I keep everything very, very hot. So, um, uh, you feed them through that little hole. And, and when they get nervous, if they get nervous in their cork tube, they have that water to jump into. And their water, for that that specific, those species, water monitors, mertens, anything that's highly aquatic, just as secure as that cork tube is, the water is so important for their well-being. As soon as they hit that water, they think you can't see them. The water's crystal clear. It's only an inch deep. There's a little plant in there. I got fake plant in the water. and But they just feel totally secure. So now All they right. go underwater. They stay underwater. They'll pop their heads up like an alligator. They'll look at you. They feel totally secure. They're in the water. Pass them a little piece of food down there. They realize you're not bad. They're safe. So that's another method that I've used. And when people buy my Mertens, my Coming Eye, any of my aquatic monitors, I tell them about the 40 breeder with the hole in the bottom. It's very simple to do, very cheap to do. Um, front opening, of course. And the people that listen to me, like I said earlier, they are like, oh, you got the best monitors. They're so tame and da 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 da. 
believe me, it, it's not to do with the monitor, but the way you raise it. Mm-hmm. So right. I have other people who, and I, I, I could talk your ears off, man. And I'm sorry if I'm rambling. I'm sorry, Skyler. Oh no, man. Well, you're on that really no, quick. Man, that's, why, that's why you're here. I wanted to ask you a question about that because I was literally about to ask you about those setups. Yeah. And I, I wanted to bring up the Mertens as well. Um, did you notice any or a lot of similarities between the Joviensis and the Mertens body structure wise and habit wise at all? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're very similar. They're, they're medium sized monitor. Um, you know, if I had peach throats, uh, and I was trying to acclimate them, I would do them just like I'm doing my Togenis, which is a little more elaborate set up with complete water bottom. Cause they get security in the water. Peach throats too. They're, they're another highly aquatic species. I've noticed that. I've noticed that. So I w- like I was saying, the, the people who, who don't, you know, they look at my adult cages all decked out, beautiful plants and, you know, you know, hiding and just, but they don't understand. My animals advanced up into that right. to where once I put them in that type of a setup, they're no longer afraid of me. They'll come to me for food. I don't have to hunt them down wherever they're at. When I open that door, they're coming to me, whether it's for food or just to see what I'm up to. So, um, the people that don't listen to me and they want to put them in a real nice setup with the plants and all the hiding, man, you know, they'll call me up and I say, Oh, this thing is the meanest son of a bitch. I'm like, Oh, how, you know, how deep is the water you put on the bottom? Like, well, I didn't do that. I, I just put substrate on the bottom and, and I'm like, okay, so basically you're telling me you didn't listen to me. Now you're having socialization issues and you want me to solve your problem. I already solved your problem. You didn't listen to me. So, right. and, and trust me, I want what's best for the animals and I want people to succeed too. So while I'm taken aback by you not listening to me in the first place, we'll go through the whole step by step. And now I've come to the point, me, you know, me and my wife, we always discuss business and stuff. And, um, you know, we pretty much, unless you're, unless you're somebody I know you're going to get put through the ringer. I'm going to tell you whether you want to hear it or not. I'm going to tell you your best chance of succeeding with these animals. If you listen to me, great. If you don't, don't come back crying to me until you redo your setup the way I said in the first place, then you won't cry to me. You'll be happy. So it's, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, assurance, I want the people to have a good experience, but most importantly to me, I want my animals happy. Yeah. Right. I've been, honestly, Mike, honestly, after watching the videos of how you have um, your baby Kamayai and those baby sulfurs, the setups you have them in with the the platform and the two little hides and everything, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. I've honestly been considering making a version of that to put some of these baby peach rods in because like you I've noticed they're highly aquatic. I've compared their body structure to a lot of other water monitors and Merton's monitors. Their body structure is damn near the same. And I've looked and obviously they live in aquatic areas. And when I see them in water, they're so natural in water. I've been considering, and I was so excited to ask you tonight, like about the whole peach throat and Merton's water. How big are these peach throats that you're talking about? 
I have I have ones that are a couple months old or probably like a month or two months old. I have ones that are almost a year old and then I have my adult male. So I was thinking about putting those younger ones in similar setups to what you have, because not only will it work better, it'll be easier to maintenance without doing everything like you're saying, where you got to go in, even though I'm to the point now where I've realized where you do have, when you do have to go in and do your maintenance or whatever to the water, when you're still in the manual stage, like myself, and you have to make it a positive interaction. So a freaking three minute ordeal turns into a 20 minute ordeal. Yep. I, I was obviously I take what you do in like a sponge. So seeing your setups, I've been thinking about setting something up like that at my house because it'll be easier and it seems super successful. And I feel like it'll really give the animals what they want. Man, it's, it's, it's a, these setups are a win-win. They're so easy to maintain and everything you're maintaining, you're maintaining from outside the enclosure. So you drain your water, they see the water going down. You go in there with your hose. You spray everything down until it, it runs out the drain. Close the drain. Fill it back up. They they think you're like God. You know they 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 yeah. they're not afraid of you. They know you're doing beneficial things for them, and they take to it real well. I need to do that. I'm gonna go ahead and get on that mission then for these young ones because yeah, I feel like that's a better solution because I'm ta- I'm getting progress, but. I'm taking the long way around and yeah. Hey, Skylar, hit me up. If you want any, you know, if you want to talk about the setup and stuff, I'll be glad to help you out. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I hit, I, I only like to bug you so much because one, I like to learn the hard way and do shit, you know, figure it out on my own because I'm a stubborn asshole, but you dude, I've done that. I've done this enough and you're the King. So I'm, I'm coming to the King. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. I'm just a guy like you who, you know, I started off just like you as a young man, and I figured out all this shit. And, um, you know, that's why I'm, I'm happy to share these techniques and these methods with people because, like I said, I, I love the animals. I want the animals to thrive, but I also want people to have a good experience. And, and this is just a segue into my main my, – the main reason – I love these animals because I like putting them in naturalistic setups that look like what I think a piece of their environment would look like. But if you do that from the get go, it's counterproductive to the socialization. So if you start them off going through these methods that I've developed over the years, when they start coming to you, I don't care. And I tell people this, you could put them in your fucking backyard. When you come outside they're going to run to you because they want to see what you're doing. If you have food or whatever, and literally, I don't mean in your backyard, but in a big elaborate, beautiful cage where instead of them hiding, when you come, they can hide whenever they want. Now, when you come, they come out of their hiding. So that's what it's all about. You know, you got to make them comfortable so you could do your wellness checks on them and, you know, make sure they're in good health. If they're hiding from you, man, that's bad because, you know, again, these are high metabolism animals. So if something goes wrong, it goes wrong quick. So, you know, if you got something that you haven't seen in three days, man, that's not good. I mean, three days, you could have a full blown double infection and you know, you're behind the eight ball now, but if if you get them, start them off the way I said, 
And they come to the point where if you got them in a fancy, elaborate setup, they'll literally come right to you. And then, you know, it's a win-win for you, the animals, and people who come over and see these beautiful setups with animals that aren't hiding from you. So yeah, Jake, Jake was convinced for a long time that my Aki's weren't even real because every time yeah. they, were, they, were, they were never, they were never, they were never I out. still remember those when he would mention that. They're not even there. What a Aki's. You don't have Aki's. They'd be out all day, and then as soon as Jake would be there, then they wouldn't be. So You know, that that's a thing. That's a thing with a lot of wild-caught monitors. It's called um, empty cage syndrome. When you look in your cage and, there's you know, you got a beautiful setup, but you don't see any animals in there. Well, you know, you want to get them to that point, but you want to get them used to you before you get them into something like that. Right. Exactly. I just want them to love me, damn it. Oh, they will. They will. I'm no, telling you, try the old uh, pinky parts and, you know, pinky gut. Uh, you know, you, you even try silver sides, cut into small pieces. I See now, dog leg at one point, and they they had no interest in the in the. Yeah, 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 that's that's kind of a tough sell, but I'm sure if you had, you know, house geckos or something, they'd be all over that. So, what about um, you know? It just depends tilapia? on what you're feeding them. What about tilapia? Do you think they would go for that? Man, tilapia! I wouldn't feed tilapia to my kids. I wouldn't feed tilapia. Tilapia is junk. See, you know what okay. the problem with tilapia is? If you get a tilapia that's like this and you chop it up, fins, guts, innards, eyeballs, everything, feed all the tilapia you want. But if you're talking about when I hear someone say tilapia, I'm thinking like store-bought tilapia. Yeah, and that is fucking garbage. That is junk. So basically, if you, around here in the spring, we have a... Uh, a trout farm and in the spring they have little they call them fingerlings so now uh when they sell them to all the lakes and the ponds and when they have an overabundance of them or early die-offs uh this guy freezes them and i'll buy these fingerlings and again it's a full fish it's not a a salmon fillet or you know it's it's the bone it's the oil it's the gut eyeballs bone everything so i guess that's the bottom line is you could feed turkey but give them give them give them turkey leg give them the innards give them the beak you got to give them give them give them it basically whole prey chopped up perfectly fine i don't have a problem with that but when you're starting to do you know, feet and esophagus and comb and stuff like that. Man, that, that's the shit nobody wants. It's right. make hot dogs out of that stuff, you know? Yeah. I, but I, I don't know. My See, my only, my only, my reasoning behind like the, the grabbing them while they're cold thing was like, maybe if I, I handle them for a bit and they realize nothing's going to happen to them. They'll they'll eventually be like, okay, I know what this guy's gonna do. He's just gonna. And you know what, Aggies Aggies are smart. They're very forgiving. It's a great place to start with monitors. So yeah, they're gonna overcome that because obviously you're not harming them. Uh, it's just a little different. You know, you're kind of forcing yourself on them rather than having them come to you, which it, it's okay because you're not harming them. Like mm -hmm. if. 
for example, if you were to pick one of them up one day out of a cold state and you're handling them and they start getting a little fired up and they reach around and they bite your finger and you and you jump, that's a bad interaction. So as Which long I'm as they're not fighting not and, yet. Yeah, like, as long as they're not fighting or showing any type of um, you know, uh of being afraid or aggression, just you know, it'll work out. It's just gonna yeah. take a little longer. I was fully expecting them to, to light me up at some point, but they haven't. So the videos you've been sending, dude, their body, like their body reactions and their body language, they seem super calm. Like they're like at that tolerance stage that's, of like that's after like a few minutes of them freaking out, and then no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But realize like, the thing, but they're gonna freak out because they don't know what's going on. But then they're like, okay, you're good, I'm good, we're hanging. Yeah, out. and that's kind of where I was. What I was going for is like if I, you know, I'm not. Like I don't have them in a death grip or anything like that, you know. I'm they, I, like they are like I'm holding them and but I'm slowly losing my grip a little bit so that they realize like they can move yeah. if they want to and then yeah treadmilling a little bit and yep. a lot of times I notice they go straight for my chest and climb up my shoulders and then they'll try and climb up back of my neck and then they'll pop off my head and you know a lot of times too when you're doing that handling like you're talking about um, if as long as you keep their brain engaged like hand over hand uh, you know crawling up your shirt, you know, gently taking them off your shirt, handling, keep their brain occupied. Uh, then they don't really have time to become frightened. Yeah. So as long as you're, you're, you know, they're moving and they're working and their brain is thinking and constantly processing what's going on. Uh, it, it's generally, if they stop that moving, mm -hmm. they're trying to assess. Yeah. And, that's kind of, that kind of what I, what I gathered just cause they would stop and they'd kind of look at me and then I'd, you know, I'd move my hand or something. They'd look at my hand and then they'd kind of look around and kind of, you right. could tell they were sort of like trying to figure out what exactly what was going on. But, yep. um, you know, I tried to offer them some food cause I had the little tongs that I use that they, you know, they became really familiar with and offered them food while I was holding them. And neither of them were like, no dude, this isn't happening. This is and like, you know what? Another very good thing uh, for your Ackies, um, get a quail egg an unfertilized quail egg, like with no bullet yeah. in there, no baby in there, and just lop the top of it off and put it in a little dish or in the substrate, whatever, and they'll come up in there and they'll just start licking that. And they love yeah, it. Yeah, I thought about that, but I wasn't sure if it would if if they would have any interest in that or not. Oh, they would. They they love it. Hey, you know, for wild caught imported animals, uh, finicky animals, people, I get questions all the time, like uh my savannah monitor will only eat you know a pinky and i'm like oh yeah okay go get a chicken egg out of your refrigerator soft boil that motherfucker and i don't care what you dip in it dip dip a, a roach dip a moth dip a centipede dip a quail in there dip it in that warm egg yolk they're gonna eat it man they they like that sloppy I stuff my Aggies go nuts over some some scrambled eggs, man. Yeah. Oh my god, they they love, love those. I try to vary it up too. I mean, I like I have a, a big mealworm colony. I have some small dubia. I've got the the scrambled eggs. Every now and then, if I have pinkies, uh, you know, I'll I'll have some smaller ones that I'll I'll give them that I think really only female seems to have any interest in. Um, but. Yeah, well, I've been wanting to try the egg thing. I just wasn't sure if that was something they'd go for or not. I didn't want to open an egg and then them tip it over and make a fucking mess. Yeah, they, they love it. 
Dude, Justin, if you just keep up steady with what pace you're on right now, I feel like in a month you're going to be like light years ahead of what you ever thought you'd be because just in the last week, the progress that you've sent over video is more than you Yeah, said. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I tried the, you know, the, the platform thing, having them come out and that, that seemed to work up to a degree, but then after a while, it yeah. came, like they kind of figured out that game yeah. where they're like, if I just do this, I don't have to worry about anything else. So I wasn't, exactly. I guess sounds, I wasn't like really they sounds like they trained you pretty good, Justin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> honestly, I feel like when it, when you bring that up, it all goes back to what Mike's saying about um, the initial cage setup. Like, obviously we want to set them up in something awesome because we want to see our monitors <laughs> use these things that we set up that we think is going to look cool when they use them, which that's obviously why we all do the stuff that we do. But it's almost like, cause I just want to say this because I know a couple of people in the chat were asking questions about this, but it seems like simple yet effective seems the best way to go. Like one option of everything, like one basking spot. That's minute. one climbing area. That's minute but exposed one water area that's exposed, you know, like, Something that no matter what, they're exposed to you and you're exposed to them. So there's always that trust building stage so that they're not, even if they're hidden, they can see you, you know, like yeah, yeah. I was saying, like, even that, like, the I picked up on he, what he says, all of my hides like that. They all got. I'm sorry, guys. You're good. Good. They all, I was just telling how I got all my hides set up, like how you've been saying all night with the, the holes and the corks and everything, because. As long as they're hidden, but they can see you and just having everything simple where that hide is a hide, but no matter what, you can see them and they can see you. It breaks that barrier down day after day, because even if they're hiding and you come in the room, they're going to see you, you see them. And like you said, the whole eye contact thing, just making them feel comfortable walking by and not totally staring at them. Like it's yeah. all the dumb little things that add up every day. And like, I don't, I just want to try to reiterate, reiterate this a little bit before we end this. Cause I know yeah. about it, but it's just like little dumb habits, picking up on what your monitor finds positive with what you do with them, making that a habit because I have five different peach throats and I treat all five of them differently based mm -hmm. off their, you know, their, um, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Individual quirks. Yeah, like, and I think that plays into a lot of like, I think every, I think a lot of people look at a species and say, oh, I can treat all of them the same. You have to that realize these animals are just like people. They're yeah. just people and they all have their own individual personalities. You know, you can treat one a certain way and it'd be more comfortable but if you do one the exact same way, it may not be the same comfortability, you know, like even cages, like personality, like you cannot treat every animal in the same. And that's why Skylar, like, I respect what you do so fucking much because like you look at the animals individually and, and react accordingly, not just like a broad, like what I do for peach thirds, like that's it, no. you know? Oh, you have to read the animal. You have to know what you're looking at and then react accordingly because they're not all going to act the same. Period. No. So I, like I started with my ramble with Justin's first question of like stupid little lizards to alligator lizards, and Asian dragons, to these monitors. There's no cookie cutter. I've socialized with all of these lizards from little lizard to monitor to gecko. I've socialized with all of them over time. I can't say I have 
as much experience as Mike with monitors by any means necessary. But I can tell you that I've got 28 years of dedicating experience to all these different lizards and reptiles. So I know how to read a reptile like I know how to read something. I know how to read a reptile better than I can read a book. And I'm dyslexic as hell. So <laughs> yeah. that's a fact. Well, but, you know, it, it's funny that you say that because snakes and lizards, like I said before, uh, a snake, when he's full and he's at rest, he's literally almost like not there. And it takes a little to, to, it takes a little to snap him into Oh, you know, looking around and smelling the air. Lizards are not like that. I mean, if they hear a mouse fart, they're going to open their eyes. They're going to look around. They're so. Yeah. And I would imagine it's because of the, the, you know, as at first, as prey, they got to be aware of their surroundings, you know, because one wrong mistake, they're done. Then as they get bigger, one little noise, one little change in light. They got to look because that might be their next meal. So right. they're because of their high metabolism, they're a whole different type of an animal. Now, as we're talking about this, like I said, I'm also into certain colubrids like dry marcon. They're the same way, man. They'll be they'll be full sitting under a hide or whatever. And, you know, you could pass through their light or, or anything like that. But if you give a, a tap on a window or a vibration, man, that motherfucker, don't, yeah, they, they wake up quick, unlike boas and pythons yeah. and, you know, things that are more, I don't, I don't even as, know. Not as present. Yeah, not as present. You know, because, again, these high metabolism animals, number one, little indigos, they're food for everything. And big indigos... They got such a high metabolism. If they hear a chicken scurrying across the sand or they hear, you know, a lizard feed, that's food, man. They got to go get that because they they process their food fast. They live fast. And that's just the way that's the nature of, you know, the high metabolism type animals. Yeah, I, I can attest to that with the barons, the barons racers. I don't know if you've seen any of those, Mike. I got a couple of them, but I literally have a video of one of my Baron's racers. He's in his enclosure and the monitor's outside of the enclosure. He's out just roaming the room, but there he's on the outside of the glass and the Baron's on the inside of the glass. And they're like a freaking mirror to each other's <laughs> movement and their tongues are flicking at yep. the same rate. The, that's why I I've told Smitty before, I put Baron's racers, uh, mind level of intelligence almost up there with some of the monitors because they're just so tacked on to every movement and yep. everything that's going on it's it's yeah. pretty crazy some of the colubrids man it, it blows my yeah and you know that i kind of really i dig that i mean i i don't get me wrong i'm a boa guy too i got emeralds i got rainbows um and and i love them but they're just a whole you know what and i'm not saying that they're easy because you know, I mean, they, they all take work, but any animal that you could feed once a week compared to feeding every day, cleaning shit water every day, man, that's a nice break to, to have an animal that doesn't need that type of attention. Yeah, 100%.
Yeah, you see, I I got that I got that pattern mixed up because it's like you have that Bowid Python every other week kind of schedule, and then you have that uh, Colubrid every couple days schedule, and then you have that Monitor basically every day schedule. Well, I somehow tried to shuffle all that, that all that together. Now I got a damn twenty four seven job on top yep. of damn job. Yeah. But yeah. we're living life, brothers, so it's all good. I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, like, last week – sorry, by the way. I don't know. I guess my phone charger came unplugged here, and my my phone died. Um, but uh, – and, and that goes into what Justin and I were talking about last week of, like, you know, it makes your life a little easier easier when you get into, like, a, a niche, you know? Like, you, you get what you what you do and like it, it's just it's just a little easier you know if you focus on you know one two things you kind of hone in but like once you get into that you have a bunch of different stuff everything needs something different you know it, it's it's hard it's hard yeah. to maintain i couldn't imagine my life with monitors right now and i'm just maintaining colubrids and pythons <laughs> you know like if i added monitors in the mix it would be non-stop that's you know, why like, that's why the the monitors and stuff that I I do want it's the smaller stuff and it's it's like Aggies and Kims are pretty much it like that's all I really have any interest in maybe right. Pilbarensis but that's Pilbs baby that's we're doing Pilbs not high yeah. on the list either like I know they're, my list. they're they're all and, great and um I could tell you the reason I got rid of all of my Audatrias is because I was getting eggs. Every two or three months, hatchlings every two or three months. And it was just non-freaking yeah, stop. it's freaking incredible. Like, watching Lucas and his Ackies and all the Ackie babies he's raising, it's like how they can do that and not just be completely blown out within, like, two or three years is unbelievable. Dude, well, Lucas, you, you, you know what? For a year, and he's already produced two clutches. No sense. You know, you know, here's the thing, too. When, when you're... When you run your animals like that, um, as you guys all know, what any of these animals that are um, egg layers, they're born with the amount of eggs they're going to lay in their lifetime. So when you have an animal like, we'll use coming eye, for example. Well, they breed maybe a couple times a year. I literally get clutches every three months for year after year after year. So after I get a female breeding and she's bred like three years, man, I just, I have to retire her. I cannot, I cannot keep, you know, I, cause I love the animals too. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to make, I, I don't want a factory. I don't want nothing like that. I do this cause I love the shit. And you know, when I, when you put it into those terms, basically in like three year period, they've given me seven or eight years worth of eggs. Mm -hmm. So after three years, I like to retire them. My Mertens, same thing. I just retired my original Mertens. I just retired my original female coming eye. And so I'm going to have a little lull here while my, uh, my holdbacks are coming into their own. They're, they're actually starting to breed now, but um, so I need a little bit of a break too, but in the same breath, I've got, um, I've got two female sulfurs that are probably laying eggs right now. So I, when we get off this, I got to go 
see if they're uh, still digging, if they're laying, what they're doing. But yeah, yeah so. But you know what? I, I gotta say, I don't really know how to turn my animals off. I yeah, I, I was gonna say aside from just housing them individually. Yeah, you know, mm. besides doing that, but you know what? Here's the thing, bro. If if you're still running them the same way, but they're not being um, inseminated, you're still going to get the eggs. They're going to be infertile. So you, so I figure if, if they're going to go through all of that uh, reproductive stress, there might as well be a good outcome from yeah. it. So, um, again, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I'm not smart enough to stop them and start them, stop them and start them. I just keep them running. It's just wild. The sustainability of it, especially with, with stuff like Ackies and, and Kim's and stuff. It's just, it's crazy that they can do that. I mean, you almost look at too, like false water cobras, you know, Dr. Logan mm. and all the, like the amount of eggs that those things crank out on an annual basis is just unbelievable. You know, the tricolor it olive, it's like same thing. It's like, these things are literally meant to just pop out like mate, feed, kill, repeat, you know, just constant. And then, and then, you know, and then that brings up another question, especially with the false water cobras, you know, with an animal at such a high reproductive rate, you know, how many of those babies are actually making right, it right. to adulthood? So they're, you know, along with all this stuff that we're talking about, we're still talking about nature. So, mm -hmm. you know. As much as we want to, in captivity, we want to produce them and sell them or whatever we do with them, donate them. You know, um, I donate a lot of animals, too. So, uh, in the wild, you know, can you imagine if, if like, like sea turtles, for example, you know, they have how many babies come out of those nests? And, you know, maybe three of them. I think statistically it's only actually one that actually one. survives to like adulthood. <laughs> so basically they're producing food for the the, yeah. the cycle Everything of else. life, yep. you know, which is well, cool I mean, that's, too. That's what me, like me and Phil say that on, on Snakes and Stogies all the time. It's like, that's why mom has 30. Mm -hmm. like, they're not all meant to, to get there, you know. Hey, Mike. I had a question yeah. that I, I, I forgot to ask, but before we wrap this up, I wanted to ask this because you've dealt with so many, um, the variety of monitors in your time. So from uh, small species to medium species to big species, socializing wise, have you noticed that the bigger, larger size monitors, four to, four to six foot and up, such as like water monitors and the coming eye and whatnot, have you noticed their uh, toler tolerability to us and their socializing a little bit easier than the smaller and medium sized monitors. Because I, in my personal experience and my personal thought is that the smaller and the medium sized monitors, not only are they more of a prey item to a lot more things and birds and everything, but it takes longer for them to get to the top of their food chain. So they're kind of prey for most of their life until they hit that peak size. So I was just, in your experience, do you think and do you feel like the bigger monitors or larger monitors come out with more of that apex confidence compared to the smaller and medium-sized monitors? You know what? It's funny that you bring that up because before I started breeding my sulfurs, I would say no. I, I would say no. I mean, they all want to do the same thing. They all want to get into that predator mode and get out of that prey mode 
as fast as possible. So if you take that natural instinct or behavior or process that they go through and you keep them hot and you feed them and you feed them, you're not going to make them fat. You, you know, if, if anything, when they're young like this, you really want to hit them hard with the, the uh, <coughs> sticky tongue farm mineral. That's what I use. So the vitamins and the minerals and the vitamin D3, uh, that supports their skeletal growth. So as long as you're supporting their growth, they're going to get to that size where they're more confident and they're not prey anymore. But I got to say this, sulfur monitors. Now, I got my sulfur monitor group. Um, they were... They were all probably yearlings when my friend got them and he had them for a year. And again, very social, very tractable animals. Um, so I, I wasn't real sure on them. You know, I, I'm, you know, real familiar with most of the other ones, but I wasn't sure with the Bivitatis. So, uh, you know, my adults, are they're they're like puppy dogs they all crawl on me they they're they're great so i was the same question that you're talking about skylar i was i was you know curious how the hatchlings were going to be finally i hatched them and man i'm going to tell you something they're either the stupidest motherfuckers or <laughs> i don't understand these the baby sulfur monitors are just as tame as my adults, as babies, I feel they like literally the apex mindset. That's my only. They come thing out bigger, and there's less. Yeah, there's less predation. Well, I, I, I can't say this from personal experience, but I can tell you, I'm sure you guys know, I network like a jib jab son of a gun, just because I like to talk to people. So I talk to people that have different species than I have all the time, and just from talking to people and watching different videos and everything. That is the only conclusion I can come to is that those bigger apex species that are a top growth of like five feet and up, five to seven feet, mainly water monitors, croc monitors, you know, the Komodos, they come out of the egg with that, that apex instinct of knowing I'm going to be the big boy around town. No one's going to mess with me. I'm going to be able to eat you. So I don't really have much to worry about and that's about it. It seems speaking, like that attitude. Speaking on the sulfurs, I could tell you right now, my sulfurs are a month younger than my coming eye babies, and they've already doubled in size where the coming eye are. You know, so you might have a point there. I think they grow so the the, the sulfurs grow so fast that. That I that that you might be onto something there about them maybe being more confident, knowing, but still in the wild, man, they make a mistake. They're on the end of a bird's bill and they're done, you know. Yeah. I understand so, that because I, I talk to people too, and they say when they catch the wild ones, it's like even at mid-range or mid-age, sub mid-range, mid-age, sub-adult size, it's like catching, you know, a damn Tasmanian devil. But it just seems like in a captive setting or a super social setting where maybe they're finding these monitors close to captivity or, or close to uh, civilization, I mean, 
they're way more tolerant and it seems like they have that apex confidence at least i mean it, just from what i've seen i can only go off of what i've seen anecdotal oh, i'm sure there's a, a degree of habituation too like you would see with any alligators that get fed by people you know they, they build right where it's like oh hey these people are gonna throw me pieces of bread and french just, fries and all that other crap you know it just seems like it I don't, yeah. yeah it right. makes complete right. sense because, because i guess i think maybe smitty you're, you you might be onto something there because um more so than with captive born anyways cuz that's all i can speak on i'm sure you know babies in the wild are going to run from you you're not even going to see them you know um but because they grow the sulfurs grow so fast compared to like even my coming eye that grow pretty quick, but these like double in a month's time. So I, I think maybe it is uh, like a food habituation thing to where, you know, they want to grow so bad that they're not going to be shy for a meal. They're going to come out, like you said, an alligator, people throwing meat to them and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they realize, you know, this is how I'm going to grow big quick. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, Skylar, because that was actually a question I was going to ask like halfway through this episode, but I didn't, I I, didn't, I wasn't able to interject and I kind of forgot. But, you know, I feel like, I feel like with, you know, stuff like Ackies and Kims, even as adult size for big birds, they're still prey. Prey. You know? To an extent, for for some bigger birds, granted, not everything, you know, as babies, yeah, like everything, prey, raptors and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah but well, you you got you got to understand something. If we're talking about wild caught kims and ackies and stuff, yeah. they have their own uh, defense mechanisms. Sure, you know, when you compare, you know, whatever birds would predate them um, in the wild, Kimberly rock monitors, they're fitting in crevices that are so tiny like like i think about around here like we got offsprays these are you know a bird of prey yeah we have a bunch from here but i actually watched an osprey one time i was watching sparrows and there had to be 15 20 of them they all flew into a bush at the same time and i'm in my car parked and um and i noticed all of a sudden, the osprey comes into the picture. This motherfucker, he's literally running around the bush. He's going back and forth, and the sparrows would go from this side of the bush. He'd come around this way. He'd go that way, and he's trying to trick them. And when he did trick them, he'd trick them, and he'd throw his foot. He'd stand on one leg and throw a foot into the bush and pull out a sparrow with his foot, put it in its mouth, and fly away. Then all the other sparrows would go away. And so, yeah, their hunting techniques are different. But, you know, Kimberly Rock, when you look at their skull, even an adult, their skull is so flat. Like they're made of paper. Yeah, and, and they go in little crevices. And not only are they are they running from uh, being predated like that, but they're also getting little geckos and, and skinks that are living in these crevices. So it's it's a good strategy for them. That's why I think... They're so bold because they have, you know, they're living in a perfect habitat for them to escape. Right. Yeah. But I feel like that could also play into why, like in some scenarios, they can almost be a little harder to be. And like in those, I'm not even going to say harder in those open 
open scenarios, you know, because Kimberly's and Aki's, they're staying in those tight crevices and they're always nearby a tight crevice. Right. Around, they can dart, you know, but if you have them out in the open, they're like, oh, fuck, like this isn't good. Yeah, Yeah, they're exposed. No, because now I'm vulnerable. I'm I'm small. Like, granted, I'm not a baby, but I'm still small for those big birds. Right. Out in the open, it can be somewhat kind of harder to like kind of grasp the fact that I'm safe. Absolutely. Yeah. It is interesting though, because I have there's like two flat rocks on the hotter side of the enclosure that they're in now. And there is like one of those rocks. It's not very big. I'd say it's probably like seven inches in diameter, give or take. And it's just laying there on the dirt, and that's like their spot. They'd love to hang out under that. And some of the spaces I've made I've seen them wedge themselves in is ridiculous. Like I'm like, how do you even breathe? Like there's yep. There's no space there, but they somehow managed to find it and hang out in there. Well, yeah, you know, they're completely if, content with it. Like they're completely happy. They they freaking love it. You know, if you ever seen like Chuck Wallace and stuff too, when they get into a crevice, man, they just start gulping air. Mm-hmm. And they just and they wedge themselves in there, boy. And you know, they'd much rather lose a leg than yeah. to let out the air and come out. You know what I mean? That that's how <laughs> dedicated they are. To their survival. Yeah. It's nuts. Kim's are on the list, though. Yep. They're cool, man. They're real cool. Dude, I literally have a six-foot enclosure in my uh, spare garage right now. It's a glass front and opening enclosure. I have all the foam molds and all the caves and everything cut out, all the platforms cut out. All I need to do is put either some uh, Zupoxy or some freaking... Uh, sealant over this thing and get it finished, but I already have a, an enclosure ready for some pills. That was the next um, yeah. monitor yeah. Uh, adventure, but I was kind of just like, you know what? I need to tackle these peach threats and accomplish this hey, before. Let I me let me give you a little advice. Yeah. If you do do that with the Pilbaras or Kimberly Rocks or Ackies or anything, use the Zupoxy because. You're kind of the reason why I want to use the Zupoxy. So. Yo, I'm telling you, it is such a great product. Um, because, like, when you use dry lock or grout and you put it over styrofoam, these are digging animals. So they're going to start with one little grain of sand. They're going to pop that grain of sand. They're going to fuck around. They're going to do everything. They're going to come back. Boom. They're going to get another grain of sand. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. They will eventually dig through the grout. When they get into the styrofoam, man, it's game over because they just tear that shit apart. My friend Steve Sandin, who's another really skilled uh, monitor keeper, um, he made the grout before we discovered the zupoxy. He made a grout, nice background for an Aki, and he thought it escaped. And, you know, for months and months, he thought it escaped. And then he was listening and he could hear something clawing, like, behind the, the, the rockscape that he made. And he removed all the substrate, and it had dug a little hole into the grout. And then it slowly but surely, it dug out all the styrofoam that was living behind the, the rock feature. And loving every minute of it. And sure. loving every minute of it, because he was safe as shit back there. I believe it. I'll yes. have to get a couple of kits of Zupoxy off you, then, so I can finish this enclosure. Up. Well, you know what? I, I don't sell it no more because um, it's an hour away from my house. So it's a two-hour drive for me to come and get it. And I got to make a little bit of money. 
And <clears throat> I really wasn't making much, but the shipping cost and everything that kind of deters a lot of people because it's heavy. Um, but then some woman was asking me about, you know, selling her a Zupoxy kit and I told her the price and she goes, well, why would I buy that from you? And I'm like, well, cause you called you, me for that, right? Zupoxy, right? Man. Yeah. This is the Zupoxy. Well, what, what happened was, and, and I'm real close with Tabla, Tabitha over at Zupoxy, a uh, real nice lady. She can answer all your questions. Um, they had opened a, a store. See, when I first started with them, you had to buy a, a $1,500 purchase. So generally, most people aren't going to do that. So I would buy a $1,500 purchase, and then I'd sell what I didn't use or need. <clears throat> and that's how I started selling it. Then this lady says to me, she goes, why would I pay you for that? And I'm like, well, because that that that's how you're going to get it. She goes, well, I'll just order it from Zupoxy. I'm like, you can't, you, you know, you're going to, you, unless you want to buy $1,500 worth. She goes, oh, that's not what they say on their store. So I'm like, what? My wife goes and checks. They opened a store, like, uh, uh, what do they call that? An internet store or whatever? Like an yeah, an online store. Yeah, an online store. So now they're they're no longer, you could buy a, a pint kit from them. You could buy a 10-gallon kit from them. You could buy a gallon kit. So before it wasn't like that, you, you before I started uh, distributing it, so to speak, you had to buy a minimum purchase because they're, they're selling it to zoos and exhibits and, yeah. you know, they're selling it by the 55 gallon drum. So when you can sell the whole buy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyways, now that I'm on that, I know we're getting long here. Um, anybody interested in Zupoxy, Skyler, you could go to Facebook. We started a group, me and Steve. It's called Polygem Vivarium Construction. You can go there, join the page. There's a lot of great artists, great ideas, um, uh, painting techniques for it to make it look really naturalistic, uh, sculpting techniques. So go there and, and check that out. There's a Tabitha's there to answer questions. Me and Steve are there, and, and, you know, you can get most of your questions answered there on how to use the product and whatnot. I do have a YouTube video up, um, a little tutorial on how to, you know, mix it and mold it. Cool. Definitely get on it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are hitting that two-and-a-half-hour mark. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go so no, long. No, no, not at all, man. Not at all. It's not a problem in the slightest. This has been a banger of an episode. Yeah. I can't wait to get it out and get the feedback on it. Yeah. So where it's a lot of fun, man. I, it was a pleasure talking with all you guys. Thank you for the invite. Skylar, great to talk to you. And uh, like I say, away from this, anybody, anybody listening, anybody, you got any questions about monitors, I'm always happy to help. Um, I, I just, you know, I hope people you know, have an open mind and listen to a little criticism. It, it's, you know, it's, it's, I take it very serious. Um, I, I would like people, I don't want to give people advice and then they go and do what they want to do anyways. I don't want to waste my time like that. Um, and I know Skyler, advice. that's people looking for justification at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, if people I'm, do 
if people do want to hit y'all up, what's the what's the best place to do that? And what's your what's your handle on on said place? Go ahead, Skyler. Um, you guys know I'm kind of low key, so I only got inst or, uh, Instagram. If you want to hit me up, uh, you can DM me uh, hail underscore the scales. We can talk. I don't know anything but peach throats. So if you hit me up, we'll talk some peach throats, some Papawins, some other colubrids. If you really want to talk to the man about monitors, you talk to the other oh, guy. There you go. It's reversed. Yeah. You talk to Mike <laughs> because Mike's monitors knows what's up. He's literally even he's indirectly and directly taught me so much stuff between me asking him questions and me watching his videos. If you guys wanted to learn anything about monitors, watch his videos, hit him up. He will teach you everything you need to know. And thank you guys again for bringing me on here. You know, you guys know, I appreciate you boys more than anything. And Mike, I appreciate you more than, you know, even though I'm just another dude on Instagram that messages nah. you. Nah, you're, you're a bright kid, man, and, and you're smart, and you know you 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 know you're way ahead of the game. So, for me, I guess you can find me um, Mike's Monitors on Facebook, Mike's Monitors on um, Instagram, Mike's Monitors on YouTube, Mike's Monitors dot com. Um, yeah, hit me up on any of them socials, and um, always glad to help. Uh, thanks for having me on this. Like I say, I've, I've seen you guys. I know Bill Bradley. He's a real good guy. And, and like I said, man, I thought I was following you, but I'm a dummy with this internet shit. So <laughs> now that I figured it out, I will watch all your, your episodes and I'll stay tuned. And I really appreciate you guys, uh, having me on. We appreciate well, Mike, you, man. Mike, you'll be seeing a follow for me soon. So when you see Longleaf Reptilia, that's me. All right. Yeah, I've, been, I've been waiting for a long time to talk to you on a FaceTime or see you. I'm going to be at Tinley next year, so I'm going to see you face-to-face -face next year, man. I'm going to have a shirt. You guys send me your shirt size. I'm going to have a shirt and some stickers ready for you, man, because I've been waiting. Absolutely. I'm going to have Absolutely. the sleeves cut off, so don't worry. There's <laughs> you got to do the neck, too, though. To you you got to do the neckline, too. I'll fucking do the neckline, the sleeves, everything. I'm coming correct when I come. I don't fucking Custom play. Custom tailored. <laughs> for Mike's monitors, baby. That's right. Well, this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram. Get a cage for your monitor. Get some Zupoxy. Deck it out. Make it look right. I was going to with mine, but I'm too lazy. Uh, <laughs> so check them out. And then stevesnakesrary.com. Get some venom hot sauce. Cottonmouth sauce is where it's at. Uh, we will be back for snakes and stogies on Monday. And corn stars next week. It was supposed to be this week, but Chris got invited to be on Colubrid and Colubrid Radio. So I told him I was like, "All right, I think that's I think that warrants a a a punt." You get a pass. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So thank you, everybody. We'll hey, one, one one more quick thing. You guys here, I'm I don't really know the the social media. How to, just come and like me or whatever, and and I'll know who you are, and you know we'll we'll be friends then or whatever it is. Cool. Cool, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. God bless Thank and have a much. good night. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Appreciate it. See you guys. Love you, man. Love you, bro.